That's like the best sound. Oh yeah, yeah. That to open a, a podcast, open it. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I actually, I do have a can. I've like a can of pinata pale ale in the uh, in the fridge. Ooh. We'll get onto that, shall yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, let's do the right, other right. one. Ready and. Oh, oh you, fucked, <laughs> you fucked it up! You turned it into one of the worst sounds—a bang. Yeah. There we go. I tell you what, my, I had one of those beer cans last night. Uh, you, have you noticed they have the ring pulls, so like the whole top of it oh, comes yeah, off? Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm a fan of it or not, but like. My girlfriend had gone to bed and I was sort of staying up and watching NXT and I was like, yeah, don't, don't have the TV on too loud. I said, yeah, fine, no problem. And then I like opened this like ring pull can of bit and it just went bang. It was like so loud. I'm like, is that, is that really necessary? Um, anyway, cheers, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Hello, uh, you beautiful people. Um, welcome to The Bitch and Review, the only alternative music review show I think you'll ever need. Um, brought to you as ever by Bitchin' Brew. I'm Danny Randon, he's Brad Thorne. Hello, people. Beautiful people, Brad. Beautiful, Beautiful people. Beautiful people, sorry. Um, this is episode number seven, um, and in it we're going to be taking on a slightly different format. We'll obviously be, obviously be looking back at the month of uh, July and talking about some of the records that came out in that month. So those records are from uh, Jamie Lemon, Foxjaw, Drab Majesty and Muskets. Um, but we also decided we're kind of, well, we're not at the halfway point of the year. That would have been June. But at, at this kind of point in the year, we should kind of go back and cover some of the albums that we didn't quite get a chance to chat about on previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, feels bizarre that we've been doing this since January now. Yeah. Like yeah. An, a nice bizarre. Yeah. Like a tingling sensation. <laughs> um so with that in mind, we'll also be talking about albums from uh, Frank Iero and The Future Violence, uh, We Never Learned to Live, Full of Hell, and The Japanese House. That's a hell of a touring lineup, <laughs> yeah. if ever I saw one. Um, yeah, before we go uh, into the reviews, just want to plug the latest episode of Bitchin' Festival Previews, which is out now. Um, as we record this, we're just we're just days away oh. from uh, from going to Arc Tangent. So exciting! Yeah, we've no, we you've never been before, no. have you? No, it's my first time as well. It's taking place on Fernhill Farm in Bristol uh, on Thursday. The is it the fourteenth? Yeah. 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 This Thursday, basically, <laughs> if you're listening to this when it comes out, I'm, I'm terrible with dates. Um, but yeah, so um, it is the UK's or even maybe Europe's premiere festival for all things experimental and heavy and progressive and technical and all around just a bit weird, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, the headliners are Coheed and Cambria, Battles and Meshuggah. Um, so yeah, the Bitchin' Festival previews has been a fun thing I've been doing for each of the festivals I've been going to, apart from downloading, didn't go to that one, but that felt would have felt a bit weird to not cover download mm. uh, for all you lovely, lovely listeners that did get to go. Um, but yeah, Arc Tangent, it's my first time going this year, we're very much looking forward to it. So I got in touch with two bands on the lineup who I am personally very excited to see. Yeah. Uh, well, technically three bands, because one of them's in two of the bands. Uh-huh. Are we are we, count, are we counting Kersey's Metal Hands as, as a band? Or just a... they're an act yeah. on the lineup. They're a, so this time they're a yes, unit. They're a... <laughs> yeah. um, so the two bands I got in touch with were Pine and Gender Rolls. So I spoke with Nick uh, Watmo, the drummer from Pine, about his favourite uh, his bands that he's kind of looking forward to seeing across the weekend. Um, and then to Tom Bennett, the singer and guitarist from Gender Rolls, about the artist that he's looking forward to seeing over the weekend. A lot of surprising choices. Yeah. In the end, particularly from Tom from Gender Rolls, he, he totally, I thought I had him sussed with the with the sort of bands that he'd be picking and then like, no, he no. kind of went totally left of centre, <laughs> which was awesome, yeah. to be fair, and where better than Arc Tangent to kind of 
you know, discovered some new bands that you mm. never thought you you would ever have come across before, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I had a really fun time recording that episode of the Bitchin' Festival previews, apart from the bit where the audio got corrupted. <laughs> um, and I think we probably will have a couple of the guys on from like Kirsty's Metal Hands to have a proper chat mm. about that, because I'm very excited for that album that's yeah. coming out. Is that next week? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah while yeah. we're at Arctangent. So <laughs> uh, we'll definitely get them back on sometime for a proper uncorrupted chat mm-hmm. about it well I'd say uncorrupted yeah, we'll, say, we'll yeah, have but... to make sure we don't get Brady on basically <laughs> um, so yeah um, I think there were a fair few first time listeners off the back of that episode of Bitchin' Festival Preview so if you have come back for this if you have sort of stuck around and it was your it was your first encounter of Bitchin' Brew last week thank you very much and, and kind of welcome aboard mm. um, and yeah Arctangent I've been locking in some of the interviews uh, I'll be doing backstage across the weekend and I mean you've seen who I've got kind yeah. of yeah penciled in so far and can it's confirm it's very exciting pretty promising yeah for sure there'll be a couple of extra special episodes coming your way very soon so yeah if you are going to Art Tangent be sure to listen back to that episode of Bitchin' Festival previews um, and have a lovely time along with me and, and Tom and Nick as we look at one of the best festival lineups the UK has going yeah uh, this year um, who, who I should really ask you Brad who, who are you looking forward to seeing at Arctangent in particular um, definitely Zia Lenarda yeah one of the most interesting bands around at the moment so mm. that's going to be amazing um, obviously Conjurer Palm Reader all those great UK bands who? they're there I don't think we've who, who, have we discussed them before? who? Palm Reader oh uh, what was I thinking? did, yeah. I, did I say Palm Reader? yeah oh, f- no, forget that um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's so many great bands that I'm sort of struggling to think now. Yeah. Obviously, Coheed and Cambria, mm. one of the greats. Meshuggah, I'm that's re- going to be something else. Yeah, I mean, obviously really excited to see Kirstie's Metal Hands mm-hmm. and Pine. Um, have you been checking out Car Bomb at all? They, I them. haven't actually got around to them oh, yet, but I hear amazing yeah. things. Yeah, they're going to be great. I, I Part of me wants to not check them out and go and watch them, mm. you know, and just let them blow my mind that way. The, the big question is... Uh, are you going to see Caspian or Employed to Serve? Yeah, that's that's a heartbreaking clash, isn't it? It really is. <sighs> Maybe half and half, probably Employed to Serve. I don't, I don't know. I feel more compelled. We're less likely to see Caspian. I mean, I've already mm. seen Employed to Serve this year. Admittedly, I only saw like the first half of their set of Slam Dunk, and it was incredible. Yeah. So I'm half tempted to maybe go and catch the second half Employed to Serve set after after Caspian yeah. which will be quite the sea change mm. but um, you know when in Rome as it, they say it, it, where where do they say that mm. everywhere mate everywhere yeah bloody everywhere they say that oh right okay <laughs> sorry um, I thought they just said it in Rome no no they actually don't say it in Rome they hate it really yeah oh okay um, yeah so I, I'm I'm actually um, I'm more compelled to go and see Caspian because I probably see them less often yep Employed to serve a kind of not like annoyingly omnipresent, but you see them around the UK a lot more, yeah, being that they are a UK based band. So Caspian feels like more of a, a sort of a treat. It's a sound logic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then Employed to Serve, just one yeah. of the best bands in the UK overall. I was about to say best live bands, but just one of the best, best bands. bands yeah. It's a win win, really, whoever you choose. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, Arc Tangent should be a lovely, lovely time. Yeah. Let me take a sip of beer. I haven't actually tried this yet. Um, so I went to Budapest, you're going to Budapest, yeah. um, which is all very exciting, but I decided to bring back a couple of beers just, just for us to 
enjoy while we actually are not recording while sat in a car. <laughs> I like to do this. I like to get on the beers with you and chat about music yeah. that we that we both are very passionate about. So this comes from uh, Monyo, which I assume is a Budapest-based uh, brewery. Yeah. Um, now, I know you're an IPA man, so I picked you up um, a bottle of uh, American IPA. What's mm-hmm. it called? The Flying Rabbit. Flying Rabbit, yeah. Um, 6.5%. Uh, what are your unprofessional tasting notes right now? Let me just take another sip. Mm. It's really good. It would be my unprofessional <laughs> tasting this. I don't have much of a sort of refined palate for, mm. um, despite the fact I really like IPAs. Yeah, I can't tell you what notes, other than citrus, which is a really obvious one. Yeah, that's I kind struggle of, to yeah. pick out. I went wine tasting when we were in Budapest. That oh, was really? that's pretty special. Did you have to swig it around your mouth and then spit it out? Is that wine tasting? Uh, no, that, well, no, we didn't spit it out. We okay, basically we like drank it. got pissed in a cellar. <laughs> uh, and they were like, you don't have to finish the glass. And I'm like, yeah, so. <laughs> when in Rome. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and they had these lovely little cheese. It was a real treat, Ooh, to be honest. It was amazing. Yeah. I felt very, very dignified. I might have to do some of that. And then we just got on the beers afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone for the, I've actually gone for a Hefeweizen, Ooh. which is a wheat beer. Um... I've, I think I've said on this podcast before, I'm quite a fan of the, the wheat beer. I love an IPA, but um, always keen to check out a new a new Hefeweizen. Uh, so I've gone for Schatzi, which is uh, 6.1%. Would you like a taste? Yeah, I'll have a little Do you mind taste. if I have a little yeah, taste for of your it. flying rabbit? Go for it. See if you can do some better tasting mm. notes than me. Ooh. Yours is a lot stronger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yours is actually stronger in volume, but... Mm, but quite light on the... Uh... On the palate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, yours is lovely. It's much hoppier than it is like a juicy, mm-hmm. citrusy yeah. IPA. Um, this is going to go so pear-shaped, isn't it? We're going to go out on the beers after this. And <laughs> yeah. In fact, yeah, I think where we're going after this has a, a wicked, um, wicked juicy pear ale that you need to try. <sighs> juicy. Juicy. <laughs> um, shall we actually get round to what people are actually listening to this podcast for? And that's music. Yeah, just we should do that for the people. Yeah. All yeah. right. That's fine. Um, we're so selfless. Yeah, we've got uh, so your back, people. First album we're going to be talking about uh, comes from Jamie Lemon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Shuffle. It is solo album number three yes. from the former frontman of Ruben. Although I, I wonder if we really have to call him that anymore, whether we have to refer to Jamie as the former frontman of Ruben. It feels like his solo career is maybe more, has a, I don't want to say bigger following. It feels almost more established than Ruben at this point, you know? Like yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Ruben kind of hit their hit their commercial peak in what two thousand and seven when they played the main stage at Download, mm-hmm. and then very shortly after. Yeah, yeah, but um, you know, Jamie could probably walk out onto the main stage at Download at this point. Mm-hmm. I'd say yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Um, but he is a, a sort of a superstar of British rock music, and I think it's been quite well established on Bitchinber at this point that we quite like him. Yeah, um, he is a good bloke. He's actually. Um, as we record this, his episode of the podcast when he came on for a chat last year mm. um, is actually the most listened to episode of Bitch and Brew ever. Wow. Um, and it just hit 300 listens. That so, might be me listening to it yesterday for research. <laughs> I went back and did a little oh, uh, really? re-listen as a sort of loose research. Yeah, it was it was a really great chat. And this is, um, this is a very interesting album to talk about because... Mm-hmm. Uh, not only is is Jamie Lemon one of the most sort of intelligent and, and talented and mm. just sort of utterly fascinating musicians um, of his time, really, mm-hmm. um, but because this is technically a covers album 
Yeah. Um, I don't usually read press notes, but um, there is a sort of a, a line from the press notes which I feel like you know it, you should read for for sort of context. Um, at its very heart, Shuffle is a covers or reinterpretations album, one where the listener can go on a shuffle journey of their own through all media, music, movies, books, games, cartoons. Every now and then the shuffle will throw a curveball and maybe the listener skips it or maybe they keep listening and it becomes their favourite. Like I said, we've spoken a lot about Jamie Lemon. So, um, Brad, when when Jamie announced that he was releasing an album of of covers or reinterpretations, as he's called it, did you feel any scepticism towards that notion at all? No. Really? Uh, because if there's... Well, I mean, first of all, he announced it, I think, along with the track listing yeah. and stuff. So um, seeing the th- kind of things that were on there, they were the kind of things I would expect a mind like Jamie Lenman's to right. cover. I I would never expect Jamie Lenman to come along and make uh, Punk Goes Pop... <laughs> seven, you know? Yeah, because covers albums, they don't have the best of reputations, no, do they? Can you all, name no. a particularly, like, brilliant covers album? The, it, um, no, there's a, um, Deftones have an album which is a collection of covers from uh, yeah, I do know their that one. various years rather mm. than a covers album, and that's probably the closest yeah. to a great covers album I really like and I know this is kind of like we're slagging off Punk Goes Pop but I do really like the Newfound Glory from the Screen to Your Stereo series mm-hmm. they put out yeah. part 3 of that earlier this year That that's that's really great for me but yeah beyond that it's only the occasional cover I do remember Kerrang used to put out a couple of good covers covers albums mm-hmm. uh, but then again they, they were compilations compilations and yeah. Jamie was actually on one of them a few years ago he did like a punked up cover of Good Riddance by Green Day oh cool that was really really good so yeah, even even bearing that in mind, I still was initially sceptical. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured like it had been two years since, um, or like just under two years since Devolver came out, which is an album I fucking loved. Mm-hmm. It just missed out on my top ten in 2017, but it would be right up there now. It's one of the albums from that year that stuck with me the most. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, th- I think I originally felt like I would have preferred an album of like new original songs. Yeah. Um, or, or even like an EP I don't know um, but then I heard Popeye which <laughs> it was the first track from it which is a minute long rendition of the cartoon theme um, the beloved children's cartoon of the Sailor Man um, but done in a in a math core style yeah. it's arguably one of Jamie's heaviest ever songs yeah. um, and, and then from, from there I kind of knew that this wasn't going to be your, your average Covers album. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Jamie could have even made that if he tried. No. Um, so that that aside, uh, I I didn't know how you wanted to do this. By the way, in terms of the approach to reviewing the album, did you want to do like highlights, or did you want to do a little bit of a track by track? We could kind of loosely go through track by track if you like. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, I think you know, like with with Popeye aside, I feel like most of the tracks because you were saying like you looked at the track listing and and. Thought okay, this is like this makes a lot of sense for Jamie. But did that mean you were quite aware of the lot of the tracks anyway? Because I had to go back and do a lot of A/B testing with this one. Um, I think certainly in terms of like the Beatles cover, the songs I did know definitely mm. made sense, knowing what I know about Jamie Lemon's taste yeah. from interviews. Um, at the first Len Mania a couple of years ago, he did a Madonna cover. Ah uh, yeah, and um, you do Material Girl. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. So, um, though obviously some of the more 
left field stuff that he's covering on here, I, I didn't really know what it was, but mm. I expect Jamie Lemon to cover some stuff that I don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it opens on Tomorrow Never Knows, um, or it opens on almost like kind of a, a skit kind of thing, doesn't it? Because that's yeah. one of the bold things that this album does, which we'll get onto in a bit. Can you call this a concept album? I think you can. Yeah, because, yeah, because even it, down to the way this is sequenced, which we'll yeah. go on to talk about, it, it shuffling your music collection feels like the concept this yeah. album's built around. It's almost quite um, ironically conceptual, bearing mm. in mind it's such a sort of, you know, it's such a, it is such a mishmash of disjointed yeah, tracks, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Tomorrow Never Knows, um, it is a song by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the, the last song on Revolver. Um, so you know this was kind of around the time that they were getting into their lots of sort of Indian music influences and getting really sort of psychedelic Mm -hmm. Um, Beatles fan? growing into a Beatles fan I think historically not Mm. but um, I'm becoming more and more convinced of their genius I got obsessed around age 16 I heard one which is like the singles collection that was like one of the biggest selling albums of all time Mm -hmm. um, in my dad's car when I was like 16 I I, was like what what is this you know it's crazy I think everyone kind of has a has a eureka moment the first time they properly discovered the Beatles, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm more of a Rolling Stones guy. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Um, so yeah, tomorrow never knows. Jamie's Jamie's rendition of it has almost kind of reverse engineered a really complex and trippy song. He's made it very sort of punchy and immediate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and slightly slightly more straight ahead. Yeah, say, yeah. Um, which is, which is really weird, considering you know the sort of sonic palette of Jamie Lemon and all the things that he can do and all the things that he has done on previous records. This is he is really good at making just a straight ahead like yeah. upbeat rock banger. Yeah, he knows when to show restraint and when yeah. when to go all out. Yeah, but it, it, this this one just it's really punchy. It's mm-hmm. really immediate. Uh, yeah, I think it's a wicked opener to the album. Yeah, it eases you in. Yeah, for Definitely. sure. Um, and then uh, Killer, mm-hmm. which is a cover of the uh, Club Banger by yeah. um, Adamski and Seal. Yeah. Um, you were a big fan of the original, weren't you? Um, I like the original. Um, I'm a big fan of this. You went nuts when he played it. He kind <laughs> yeah. of went on stage yeah. to it at, um, at 2000 Trees. It was kind of his first song. But then how many how many bags of wine were you deep in oh. at that point? Three, I don't don't know. Um, Yeah, this is a favourite of mine on the album. I mean, it's all kinds of genius, I think, reworking a kind of dance floor classic Mm. into a song like this, which goes kind of real heavy in the the last section. I also think, you know, we'll go on to discuss more of the tracks. This one, to my... you know, to my ears, it kind of fits most seamlessly with what he was doing yeah. on Devolver, mm, I think. I would say so. And it could it could probably fit in that album somewhere. More with that sort of body popping, I don't know yeah. anything, kind of, yeah, slightly slightly sort of darker. Um, Mississippi as well. Yeah, um, definitely. It's very brooding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, in a way, it stays true to the synths of the original song. It does, yeah, yeah. It, albeit through like a darker, more rocked up filter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really like killer it's a, it's a killer. yeah it's really yeah. um then it moves on to taxi driver yeah um now confession time because uh, this is obviously the theme from the martin scorsese masterpiece of the same name yeah 
or you know so, so-called masterpiece mm-hmm. i haven't seen taxi driver shame yeah i know shame I, should i get the bell out no how many beers have you had we're we're in the we're in the comfort of my living room but we're not at that point yeah um yeah so um <laughs> um i haven't seen taxi driver so um that is um shameful yeah I know um, it's really bad it's one of those classic films that I'm just like yeah I really need to see that so they yeah. need to bring it back to the cinema they, they do yeah they're doing this uh, they've got Apocalypse Now showing on Tuesday another oh, film wow. I, I've never seen yeah uh, but I'm going to see Cancer Bats that night oh yeah of course yeah, yeah. Um, I so I had to check out the theme kind of ad hoc mm-hmm. uh, and I really like how he's kind of stripped back the big orchestral elements of that yeah. song and just made it very um loungy with the guitars loungy definitely and yeah. I think what what I think he actually does on every single track on this is no matter how much he changes the the kind of sonic palette of the of the original track he always nails the vibe of the song you know and the, yeah. and he nails the kind of sleaziness mm. of of this Bernard Herrmann score for for Taxi Driver he really yeah, he really nails that feeling mm. that you get when you actually watch the film. Which is really Should he cool. rescore the whole film? I mean, I would, yeah, watch. <laughs> um, and then we've got Popeye. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already spoken about that. I mean, who in their right mind would take the theme from a beloved children's cartoon and turn it into like a glitchy, sludgy, distorted nightmare? No one. Um, apart from Jamie Lemon, <laughs> obviously. It's fantastic. I Yeah, where you were losing your mind over him playing Killer at 2003's, Popeye was kind of like the highlight of the set for me. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah uh, big Dillinger vibes. Yeah. Uh, big Dillinger energy. Um, <laughs> You're the Boss is yeah. the thing that follows. So like, this is where the album takes a bit of a sharp left turn. Yeah. Um, because this isn't actually like a song or a theme in any way. It is a spoken word extract. Um, yeah. I just did a bit of research here. It's actually from a short film called Always Crashing in the Same Car. Mm-hmm. Um, act the, 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 sort of the passage is acted by Jamie, who takes on a character originally played by Richard E. Grant. Mm-hmm. Great actor. Yeah. Um, alongside Paul McGann. Yeah. Um, who reprises his original role in yeah. the film. Obviously, Jamie is a huge Doctor Who fan. Paul McGann once played the Doctor, albeit yeah, very briefly. as did Richard E. Grant in an online animated... Really? Yeah, I am, probably confession time, I'm a massive Doctor Who I nerd. did not know that about you. Not many people do, I keep it... I'm tapping my heart. That's yeah. where I keep it. Yeah. Um, which one though? Which one? Which heart? Ooh. Thank that, you very yeah. much. Take and a that's bell. number one. Take, yeah. Get that's the bell the... out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we a found nice our little um, title already. <laughs> a nice little Easter egg, I think, for fellow Doctor Who fans. And nice mm. of Jamie to um, include that. It's it's really good as well. Yeah. It's a really kind of it's like a little slice of audio drama. I haven't seen the short film, no, admittedly, in, to kind of comment about it in situ, about where that mm-hmm. where that actual excerpt, because it's like a two-minute excerpt, isn't yeah. it, kind of sits within the film. 
Uh, don't really know anything about the film, but I, I now want to see Jamie cast in pretty much every Guy Ritchie movie ever yeah. moving forward. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of um, In Bruges as well, you know that film? Yeah, it's I've got, never seen it. Oh, it's got a kind of similar vibe to that, a similar sort of humour. Yeah, yeah, it is really funny in places, yeah, and, yeah. and Jamie's Jamie's a fantastic um, actor. As we'll kind of go on to talk, he kind of exhibits this in a couple of places. Yeah, on the on the rest of the um, on the rest of the album. Uh, from here, um, it immediately follows by uh, "Song of Sikolos," uh, which is quite a short little track. It's the oldest complete musical composition from anywhere in the world, yeah. from ancient Greece. Um, I think this is kind of this is. Th- I, I must admit. Okay, so I think you've gathered at this point that I really, really love this album. <laughs> yeah. But this uh, is kind of where the album takes a little bit of a dip for me. Yeah, I think it's never less than interesting and, and for lack of a better word, like pleasing. Mm. But, you know, would I want him to play um, Song of Seagulost live? Uh, no, no, no. I would, no, I wouldn't. No, but probably not. I'm still kind of glad it exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's really sombre. It's a very sombre mm. track, isn't it? It flows very nicely into the following track, which mm-hmm. is Coda. Um, now, can you help me here? Because I've done, and I was like trying to listen to other po- like podcasts reviewing this yeah, album to yeah. try and figure out where it's from. I, I searched Spotify yeah. I, uh, to try and find a song called Coda that it sounds like. Yeah. Um, I googled the lyrics and I literally cannot find a fucking thing to yeah. link it to. No, so, me neither. Um, it's possibly my least favourite song on the album. Yeah. I, yeah, I'd, I would agree with you on that, I think. yeah, I, I like it, don't get me wrong. It, it's um, It does this kind of cool, uh, synth-driven, almost mm. like space rock thing. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, the, the final Arcane Roots album. Yeah. It kind of sounds like it should have been... Which I think he has, um, Jamie has cited as an influence on this album, I think. Yeah, yeah. well, it's a phenomenal album, isn't yeah. it? I know that Jamie and Andrew from formerly of Arcane Roots, obviously, they've now split up. Mm-hmm. I, I think they've worked together, they've at least toured together a little bit. Yeah, I think they've done a song together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, Andrew yeah, yeah. was on, is it Irrelevant? Yes. Which yeah. was kind of a reimagining of... Um, of Devolver, the final the mm-hmm. t- title track from Devolver, yeah, um, and um, yeah, it goes down a very similar route. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think it's, I, I think Irrelevant is fantastic. Yeah. I, I don't think this is as good, but it, you know, sort of, it fits into a similar bracket. And mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be totally adverse to hearing Jamie do more of that. No, um, this is where it picks up a little bit for me. Shebop, yeah, um, probably the most straightforward song on the whole album. It's, yeah. Definitely, it's just a bit of a rager, really. Along with tomorrow, <laughs> never knows. It's it's done faster than the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original by Cindy Lauper, who is Jamie's a massive fan of. Yeah. Um. And I think I think that sort of up in the pace of it benefits it really. Yeah, he still he still keeps the kind of zany, cheesy fun mm. of the original. Yeah, this is this is the shining the, the sort of the shining moment for the drummer for me as yeah, well. Yeah. I don't know who his drummer is on this record because it's not Daniel ever uh, anymore from the heavy mellow band. It's no. a different drummer, um, but the drummer is so good on this song. Mm-hmm. That and Popeye, obviously, where he goes like full Dillinger. Yeah, um, yeah. it's not too pacey. not too bad for a song about wanking, is it? <laughs> No, is that is that what this song's about? Yeah. Have you looked up the lyrics to Shebop by Cindy Lauper? No. I'm gonna look this up while you um talk about Adamantium Rage, which is the song that follows. Yeah, this is um having done a little bit of research, I believe this is a pretty beloved 
sort of video game soundtrack. Obviously, Adamantium Rage is, is from an X-Men mm. video game. It's Wolverine-based track. Um, I think this is good. I think he, he kind of breathes a new life into it. It's yeah. a very heavy instrumental track. It's got a kind of lumbering heavy metal yeah. vibe to it. That is very reflective of the original, which is like very heavy, albeit through like six, 16-bit synths. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's very dirty stoner mm-hmm. metal almost style, yeah, with yeah. like Jamie kind of screaming very low down in the mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think arguably that's the song that stayed truest to the original on shuffle, would you say? I think think so yeah yeah but yeah going back to the she pop lyrics i've googled them now um hey i've been thinking thinking of a new sensation i'm picking up a good vibration oh okay uh she bop he bop a wee bop i bop you bop a they bop be bop be bop a loo bop i hope you will understand because i can't stop messing with the danger zone all of these it's can't all about stop messing with the danger zone is the only thing you said then that made me think of masturbation the the the, the yeah um, oh. it, according to Wikipedia, which is a reputable source, yeah. obviously, this is, all done, this is all done uh, on the spot, isn't it? The song was considered controversial as it dealt with the subject matter of female masturbation. Uh. Uh, it was also included on the Parents Music Resource Center's Filthy 15 list due Ooh. to its pro- sexual lyrics. This led to the creation of the Parental Advisory Sticker, which I miss dearly. Yeah. Um, uh, other songs on the Filthy 15 list included tracks by Madonna, Prince, and ACDC. Oh. Um, in an interview on the Howard Stern Show, uh, where else, uh, Lauper stated that she recorded the vocals of the song while nude. Oh. A lot like Daniel Beddingfield, <laughs> uh, who was naked for a lot of his recordings. I did not know that. I'll leave you to picture that one in your head now. <laughs> That's going to stick with you. <laughs> um, shall we actually go back to Shuffle? Sorry. Yes. Enough, enough talking yeah. about wanking. Maybe Shuffle is not the right... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shifty. Um, <laughs> Love Song for a Vampire is the next track, which is originally by Annie Lennox, written for uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Yeah. Which, again, is a film I'd started but not finished. Oh, okay. Have you? Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a big Dracula. I'm a fan of the Dracula book mm. and Dracula stuff. Um, that film is fine. It's in, I find it enjoyable. Okay, I've heard it's really bad with Keanu Reeves. He, like it's, yeah. it's before Keanu. It's not Reeves. his finest hour no, or three hours. <laughs> this this one's a, a highlight of the album for me. Yeah, uh, one of many highlights, obviously. But it sounds epic and kind of beguiling and. I think Jamie doing the, the sort of the slow song or the ballad is something that's actually really underrated at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to that title track on Devolver mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that he does on Muscle Memory, which is his first album. I think he should um, he should do more of the sort of ballad leaning stuff. Yeah, he's got his voice can carry a kind of gravitas, mm. uh, and that yeah, I think you're right. I think he is really underrated for that. Um, so that's followed by the Pequod Meets the Delight, which uh, again is another sort of audio excerpt yeah. uh, from the book Moby Dick. Yes. Um, which I haven't read. It's I'm such a, Jamie's such... favourite book, as he said um, on your on your podcast. He he talks very, very briefly about it being his favourite oh, book, which I, well, <laughs> you, you speak to, you do a lot of podcasts there. Um, um, yeah, which is interesting. Um, this made me want a whole series of Jamie Lemon audiobooks. Yeah, I, it's I, really, really <laughs> enjoyable to listen to. It, it's almost 
low-key my favourite thing on the album. It puts <laughs> such a smile on my face. He, I, I literally, my notes say nothing much to say here apart from Jamie should should do all the audiobooks ever. Yeah. Um, him and, like, Brian Blessed and mm-hmm. Kathy Burke. Yeah. And the ghost of Macho Man Randy Savage, <laughs> who had the best voice in wrestling. They um, should all do Harry Potter together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah, Wingardium Leviosa. That's a terrible <laughs> Randy Savage impression, but we'll go Episode with it. Episode title, maybe. Uh, what? Maybe, uh, just oh yeah, Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's great. I yeah, want yeah. to hear him do like I want to hear him recite Moby Dick in full. Now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do it, Jamie. Book it. Um, <laughs> so, a handsome stranger called Death. We're getting towards the end of the album, by the way. Now, guys, mm-hmm. I know we've spoken a lot in the sort of opening segment of the podcast but this one I, th- I actually I'm really glad we did this track by track yeah it's not sort of the one where you can just sort of cherry pick highlights from ironically bearing in mind it's you know uh, bearing in mind the themes of the album yeah. but they felt like there's something to talk about with each track mm. um, A Handsome Stranger Called Death yeah which is a cover of the of the short lived band Foe I believe there's a link somewhere with a member of Foe once performing on a Ruben track it's oh, Hannah, but... Hannah Lou Clark who is a brilliant solo artist now in her oh, yeah. own right she performed at Lenmania yes actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a quirky little almost anti-folk number yeah um, it kind of sets the atmosphere of like this smoky jazz bar kind mm-hmm. of thing going on yeah it's not my favourite on the record admittedly no me neither um, but then it goes on to Hey Jude. Um, <laughs> now, he's taken one of the the most euphoric musical moments ever committed to memory. Whether you like the Beatles or not, there's, there's no point ever denying that it's up there with like the chorus of Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis or like the, the lead hook of Wake Up by Arcade Fire mm-hmm. as just being one of those euphoric sing-along moments that everyone knows. Yeah. Um, and he's made it this erratic, sprawling, eventually quite uncomfortable sonic assault. It's doomed yeah. up to fuck. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think that kind of says a lot about the album as a whole, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a song that I kind of felt like I never really needed to hear again or never really needed to hear anyone cover mm. again. And he's really taken... He's probably well aware that people feel that way towards it. Yeah. And he's really kind of challenged that. It's very much the Wonderwall of the album, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it ends on The the Remembrance, which <laughs> is a poem about... Uh, so it's a poem by Jake Thackeray, mm-hmm. who was a big sort of a poet and performer in the 1960s. Um, it's a poem about eventually being killed in the war mm-hmm. um, but it's done in quite a sort of a sprightly manner it brings quite a bittersweet yeah. end to the album I was quite I was very very pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. um, and I think that just goes to show just how versatile an artist Jamie is you know yeah. when we talk about all of these audio like audio book and movie excerpt passages that he does just the way he ends it on this rather poignant wartime poem it made me feel very similar to how like when we're in school and we're doing the po- po- uh, poems of Wilfred Owen mm-hmm. you know like Dolce et Decorum Est and yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head right now uh, the days of AQA anthology have not stuck with me um, fuck you Caroline Duffy um, no she's great what am I on about um, I found my anthology book recently by the way it yeah was... mine is buried somewhere in my room yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been to see oh what's his name the uh, one with the waves crashing on the front 
is it? Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, what's one. his bloody name? The the poet that's on the AQA anthology. I'm gonna Google this while you talk about how how it ends on the remembrance. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Sorry, just setting you up there. I hope you have notes. <laughs> I've got a few. Um, well, I would just echo basically what you said. Um, I like the use of piano on that song. Mm. It's just kind of a nice. Gives it kind of a nice extra mm. layer with it being a poem. It's that nice musical layer. <laughs> I was thinking of Simon Armitage. I'm going to save uh, you there. Yeah, I've got his book. I've been to see him live. That's really that's really, um, really that's really embarrassing, isn't it? That I couldn't think of his name. He's only the poet laureate at one point. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that brings our kind of track to track track by track to an end. I think. If everyone took this approach to the concept of the covers album, 95% of covers albums would still be absolute toss. <laughs> um, this is such an interesting concept that could only be pulled off by someone with the kind of the dexterity, with, and not just kind of musically, but yeah. in all manners of, of Jamie Lemon. The man is a legit genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I don't think anyone in their right mind should be toying with spoken word passages and and sort of almost skits Mm. in the way. We haven't even mentioned the fact that, you know, you hear him skipping through tracks at the start of each song. I almost would have liked him to uh, double down on that and do it at the start of every song. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, it's really cool how how he's done that. It's, it's, you know, we're talking about the concept earlier. It's such a a sort of horribly disjointed album in places, but it works so well. That's the, that's kind of the point. It definitely simulates. I mean, I um, have an iPod Classic, which lives in my car, and what I do on the way to and from work every day is shuffle it, and that does not sequence your music in a particularly pleasing way way and this album really simulates that mm. that feeling I, I remember going back to that podcast that we were talking about that Jamie's been on if you haven't listened to that by the way I would obviously yeah, encourage you I to go back and listen it's one of the best episodes it's the... one of my personal favourite yeah. episodes it might even be up there like, I've, I've done some great chats I don't want to like single one out but that's definitely been Jamie's one of my favourites Jamie's an favorites. incredibly unique interesting guy yeah he's brilliant and so well spoken as well so charismatic but um uh, you know, I, I felt actually I felt like I had to be a little bit of humble pie going back and thinking about the conversation that we had about how Devolver. I kind of argued that it was more sort of like it had it was more sort of um, cohesive, and he argued that it had like actually more stuff going on than Muscle Memory. Mm-hmm. In, in retrospect, I do actually think Muscle Memory has less stuff going going on than Devolver. Like yeah, Devolver has yeah. more stuff going on than Muscle Memory. I should yeah because yeah. Muscle Memory is essentially an acoustic album and like this sort of techie math rocky album yeah yeah um and uh and kind of the two put together whereas devolver just like throws everything at the wall yeah, really. yeah. um and a, a, a good amount of it sticks mm. um and you know this one almost makes devolver seem quite sort of uh one track minded <laughs> yeah. with the amount of stuff going on he's thrown a whole load of of shit at the wall and he does pr- say pretty much chat, all of it is stuck yeah he does say how fucking weird his next album's gonna be <sighs> in your chat and he uh he delivered on that promise yeah so. um so yeah i mean i i was kind of i'd swallow my words a little bit there and kind of <laughs> backtrack a little bit but yeah he he's just he's just throwing more and more ideas into the into mm. the equation with each album and God knows what the next album's going <laughs> to yeah. sound like. He's basically just going to do a, a folk album next, isn't he? <laughs> um, so that's uh, Jamie Lemon, uh, Shuffle. Oh, we need to give it a rating. Or a, 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 how many tea bags out of ten are you giving Shuffle? I think I'm going to go with an eight. Yeah, I've gone with an eight too. Yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag. They're all kind of successful to varying degrees, I mm. think. 
Yeah. So um, that's Shuffle. It's by Jamie Lemon. Oh, sorry. To give it its full name, in the words of Jamie Lemon, Shuffle, you beauty. <laughs> Fucking yes. Um, and that's out now on uh, Big Scary Monsters. Um, so next release we're going to talk about, it's actually an EP. Uh, so much shorter than the, the, the Jamie Lemon album. Mm. Uh, we're going to have a, a probably a bit of a shorter conversation about it, yeah. about all of the records that we'll chat about now. We're not going to track by track with every album. Um, but this EP comes from Foxjaw. Um, it's called A Playground for Sad Adults. Mm. And it's uh, it came out on Hassle Records in July. Um, mm-hmm. They've been on quite the tear, haven't they, yeah. Hassle this year? Um it is the, the sort of sophomore EP from the, the Bristol-based Nutters <laughs> that I had a, a really lovely chat with as part of our two-part 2003 special, now available to listen to on all good podcast streaming platforms, etc., etc. Yeah, go and listen. Oop. Take um, a deep breath. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was, I, I had a really lovely time with them. I never mm. actually put up the photo of, of Danny, their singer, uh, trying to lick my nipple during the photo shoot. Oh, Maybe yeah. put it up after yeah. this or next week or something. I think I have to. Patreon. Uh, <laughs> we're not ready to monetize yet. Um, this follows on from last year's Goodbye Dinosaur EP, mm-hmm. uh, which for me set, set quite the precedent, yep. really. Um, especially the sing- uh, like the standout single from it was Weapons. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like one of my favourite songs from last year. Um, and they kind of accompanied that release with with lots of relatively sort of prestigious opening spots for some of the world's best live bands right now. They kind of went out on tour with Black Peaks, went on tour with Pagan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, were you before going into this EP? Were you familiar with Fox Shore at all? Did you listen to that EP? I listened to the EP. Um, mm. I hadn't seen them live uh, prior to 2003, as, as I think we discussed. But, yeah, um, and we really liked. We both really yeah. liked that set, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the EP would definitely made my ears prick up. It definitely made me take notice yeah. of, of what they're doing. So, um, a playground for sad adults. Speaking of speaking of sort of setting a precedent, I feel like as as the first as the first and the kind of lead single, and it's kind of the first track proper because there's a little bit of a sort of an ominous forty five second intro yeah. track. Um, uh, Melt your face of wax is mm-hmm. the kind of lead single from this EP, and uh, you know I I think it sets a, a really wonderful precedent for this off kilter blend of I want to say puzzle era Biffy Clyro. I think yeah. that's been quite a common uh, point of reference, especially with the sort of operatics in the chorus. Yeah, yeah, um, and a little bit of Quincy Stone Age in there yeah. in the way of, that it kind of grooves along. Um, it's really slick, but then there's something far darker at play, yeah. darker than either of those bands that I really can't put my finger on. Can you at all? No, and I don't think they want you to be no. able to, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, unsettling is a word. I think this whole EP carries a yeah. quite an unsettling mm. vibe, a pleasingly unsettling vibe yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, the the opening song is is a really great introduction to what they're doing. I think the kind of sonic kind of the kind of sonic stew that is their sound is a, is a lot kind of thicker on this EP than yeah, the first one. I would say so. Um, I think it's a bit more kind of clearly defined as well in terms of um, the vocalist um, Danny Garland. I yeah, think his name is yeah. Um, Tom Yeah, is um, kind of ever shifting. You know, from minute to minute, his his vocal is shifting from. Mm really kind of ethereal clean vocals to these howls that are like really kind of primal yeah um but yeah the the best example i think danny really excels vocally on the song whale 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 yeah. which is my favorite song on this i this think EP. it's my favorite too it really cranks up the heavier yeah of things 
Now, any band who can do that sort of build up to a fucking sort of explosive lead hook. Yeah. Um, Weapons did something very similar, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, so I really love seeing that song live. Um, they're, they're a great band in my eyes, any band that can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the verses kind of in between those really monstrous choruses where, where Danny just kind of goes full bellow mm-hmm. on those choruses, they're, they're really kind of menacing in a, in a sort yeah. of understated way. This kind of strikes me as a band that have a really sort of, like they have a passion for things like horror movies and, yeah. um, you know, like all sorts of weird psychological shit. Yeah, I think that's sort of even more evidenced on on the next song, which is Bodies in the Wall. Yeah. Which is a really... It's much slower, it's more gradually building. Yeah, it throws a bit of a nice contrast, doesn't it? It's much more subdued. And it's it's like, on the verses, certainly at least, it's it's like almost melodically quite pleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're still maintaining like an eeriness. Yeah, I mean, melodically pleasant, lyrically quite disturbing and weird yeah I have a, uh, a one of the lyrics from the verses written down my body hung like festive lanterns that were forgotten to be lit and somebody's frozen and still like a chalk ice or dead mice or emperor penguins surviving the arctic ah oh. Probably uh, chalk ice, please. Yeah the one that I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a chalk ice yeah. over a dead <laughs> mice unless they're like the sugar mice because they are fucking lovely yeah, yeah, probably. But they're not mice. actual mice, so are they? They can't be dead. Yeah. They were never alive. Conspiracy. This Ooh. is not the last podcast on the left, Brad. <laughs> All right? You're on the wrong podcast. I'm auditioning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Bodies in the Wall, it ends with this whole other dimension of Foxjaw. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still quite intense. I think this EP is quite intense as a whole. And uh, it ends quite almost cinematically and almost like post-Rocky yeah. in a way Yeah. Um, and uh, then like it just leads on to the final track which is The Curse of the Button Man <laughs> which sounds like the most evil nursery rhyme I've, I think I've ever heard yeah, yeah. The, the vocal pattern has that sort of swaying feel but then it's executed with this, this horrible sort of roar yeah yeah um but then, like, going back, like, you know, we're saying about all these sort of weird things that they can do, and they can do very well on this EP. Like, a track like Monday Man, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think that kind of shows that they can do the upbeat and incredibly kind of melodic thing without compromising their weirdness. Yeah, they, they go into kind of indie indie rock territory on that song. Yeah, I think it could just about sit with the sort of the, the sort of the shite they masquerade as like radio friendly rock music these days yeah, and not yeah. look totally out of place apart from the fact that it's far better yeah um, yeah I I think that if Foxjaw can deliver a debut album because mm. I know they are working on it at the yeah. moment um, that matches the the quality of the two EPs put together because they kind of release re-release Goodbye Dinosaur as part of the vinyl for this yeah so you can get the two together now, which is awesome. Um, or yet, you know, even if they can do something that excels those two EPs put together, which I have every faith in them to do, yeah. um, then I think we are genuinely looking at one of the best new bands in the UK. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, regardless of whatever sort of subgenre or like pigeonhole you want to try and like stuff them into, whether good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you like Black Peaks, yeah. If you like, if you like that Saint Pierre Snake Invasion record, yeah. which I uh, very much like. <laughs> um, if you if you like Jamie Lemon, you know. Yeah. Um, even I think even if you like some more of that, um, some of the more established off kilter post hardcore shit. Mm-hmm. There's bits of Refuse. There's bits of At the Drive In in yeah. places, um, or maybe even like something a little bit darker and, and heavier. Then I I think regardless of whatever sort of heavy music you like, I think you'll find. 
some something on this EP to there's to so much going on to. yeah that, that you'll find something to latch onto and it's amazing I think normally when bands have this many elements in their sound there's always something that yeah. doesn't quite work as well as the rest can't really say this about it's this EP. really consistent definitely and every time I go back and listen to it I feel like I hear something new mm. that I hadn't quite noticed before which is an amazing thing for an EP yeah. to have so I've given this 8 tea bags out of 10 mm-hmm. I'm going I'm going to back you on an 8 yeah Yeah. so I think that gets a bitchin' review 8 out of 10 so that's Foxjaw and a playground for sad adults and that's out now on Hassle Records right so the next album we're going to talk about uh, comes from Drab Majesty it is the third album uh, from the Los Angeles-based brainchild of, of Deb Demure. Although that's not their real name. No. Uh, no, their, their real name is Andrew Klinko, mm-hmm. um, who plays drums in the... Um, before he was doing Drab Majesty, did you know he played drums in the band Marriages? Yeah. With, with none other than Emma Ruth Rundle? Yeah. I, I know you knew that because I know you do your research. <laughs> yeah. um, this uh, album is called Modern Mirror by the way, I should say, came out on Deus Records, um, who were kind of a bit of an authority when it comes to the world of like alternative electronic music. Mm-hmm. I know another one of the bands they've got signed to their label is Youth Code, who are making sort of big waves in the yeah. in the sort of new industrial uh, scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Drab Majesty is sort of another one of their flagship artists. I was turned on to Drab Majesty by none other than George Clark, the lead vocalist of, of Death Heaven. Oh. Um, not directly. I haven't met the bloke, yeah. but like uh, through his appearance on the um, on the YouTube series What's in My Bag, it's oh. filmed at Amoeba Records. He picked up the last Drab Majesty album, The Demonstration, oh, cool. as part of his sort of uh, as part of his swindle uh, mm. at Amoeba Records, and that had a, a fantastic song on it called Thirty Nine by Design, mm-hmm. which really stuck out. For me. The, the, the whole album's great, but that track in particular, I think, is one of the best examples of this kind of music mm-hmm. in the twenty first century. Um, and it's about the Heaven's Gate cult, which are the uh, sort of uh, mass suicide cult that yeah. tried to join the UFOs. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a very basic basic bitch in yeah. uh, description of the Heaven's Gate cult. Listen back to the episode of last podcast on the left about mm. Heaven's Gate. It's really interesting. Um, so yeah, where we you know obviously we've only been doing this since January, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like when it comes to this whole post-punk or new wave revival scene that's yeah. going on right now we've already kind of run the gamut yeah we've done you know we've covered bands like the nightmares and the twilight sad that kind of take cues from that that more post-punk era yeah yeah um especially with like the guitar tones and the synths mm-hmm. so sort of disintegration era cure yeah uh, and and apply it to like a modern rock foundation mm-hmm. but then we've also covered bands like kayla mickler on our, on our first ever podcast, yeah. actually. Seems so long ago now. But, that, you know, bands like Kayla Mickler, they kind of take those sonics and just kind of run with them yeah. to to kind of create something almost, like, otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, from there it kind of merges. Less less so pop, post-punk, but, like... When they said pop-punk. <laughs> but, like, it, it verges more into, like, new romantic Definitely, and synth-pop yeah. territories. Yeah. Um, sort of those more rock-oriented bands. Drab Majesty, for me, definitely veer more towards the latter end of that spectrum. Yeah. Um, so, like, Deb Demure uh, reminds me a little bit of um, Steve Strange from Visage. 
Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, legendary Fate Grey video by Visage. No. Um, rest in peace, Steve Strange. Or like he reminds me of Boy George yeah. a little bit. Um, if that makes a little bit more sense, he kind of it doesn't seem of this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the album art, even you know, the album art for this uh, suggests that very much. It almost looks like something out of like a, a dystopic. Yeah, what, like Blade Runner almost. Yeah, it's a great album artwork. Another, another film I haven't seen. Oh my! I know. God. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, I, I'm intrigued. So within this massive '80s pop culture nostalgia scene, yeah, where everyone's getting a fucking rod on for the '80s. <laughs> Um, where does Drab Majesty and, and Modern Mirror more specifically sit in your estimations? Um, it has not grabbed me as much as some of the others right, that we okay. talked about, like Caelan Mickler, as mm. you mentioned, uh, which is probably more on this side of things. Yeah, this one hasn't grabbed me quite as much. Mm. You're giving me a face that... No, 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 not at all. Different, I no, I think what made that last album, The Demonstration, seem so interesting to me was its sort of grandiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've gone back to listen to that I album at all. No. no, not enough hours in the day, is there? There is not. Um, I would encourage. Is. I would encourage you to. It's great. Yeah. Um, Demure was apparently very influenced uh, vocally by like childhood visits to. Uh, his local church with his grandmother and he was apparently inspired by like church choirs and how the sort of cavernous acoustics of a church Mm -hmm. actually amplified those vocals Um, and you know certainly on the demonstration it felt like there was like a real attack with the synths and the drums Modern Mirror um, for me is is very understated by comparison and and as such um I don't know if it clicks as much with me, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's eight tracks long. Uh, most of those tracks do hit, like, you know, the, the five and a half, yeah. six minute mark, um, and more than that in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not completely unfounded of Drab Majesty to kind of do the longer song, mm-hmm. um, but it often, on this album, hangs onto, like, a melody or a passage for just a little too long. Yeah. It and, sort of meanders off. Yeah. And and loses my interest in a few points, I think. Yeah. So, you know, the way the album starts, uh, starts with the track called A Dialogue, which works much more like a sort of an introductory track. Mm. Um, it's very minimal, and, and for the most part, it's just this sort of growing, slowly growing number of vocal levels from from Demure and these kind of washed out synths, mm-hmm. which um, like it gets gradually louder. But you know, I would have liked to it for have actually to have actually like gone somewhere. Yeah. Um, instead of just kind of it drowns in feedback and then it just ends abruptly and that's the end of the song. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, right. So there's no like conclusion yeah. to that song. Um, and then it goes on to a track called The Other Side, which sounds more like Drab Majesty's attempt to go for that, like Cocteau Twins, Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. I had New Order written yeah, down as New well. Yeah, a big one on this album, I think. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, reminds me a lot of... Um, did you check out that No Devotion album? Uh, yeah. Sort of post post Lost Profits yeah, um, yeah. album with Jeff Rickley on vocals, which I I love that album. It's a really good album. Yeah. But in this case, like that is like the other side is perfectly fine. Yeah, isn't it? It's one of the better songs on the record. Oh really? Do you think so? I think so. Yeah. There's 
for me, there is there is like a run of tracks in the middle of this album that are probably as good as the demonstration. Okay. Um, so my favourite track on the album is Noise of the Void, mm-hmm. which has that very sort of ominous, minimal Stranger Things soundtrack yeah. vibes. Yeah. I know that's like the common point of reference for everyone at the moment because, <laughs> you know, season three's on Netflix at the moment. It's very good, isn't it? Yeah. Very, very good. Um, and I've actually, you know, what I was saying about a dialogue not really building, mm-hmm. um, this, this one has a much better build. Yeah. I think. Uh, then that's followed by Dolls in the Dark, uh, which kind of brings brings like a welcome change of pace. I really like what's going on with the with the synth drums on that track. Yeah. Um, had a similar thing going to that Black Queen album from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, uh, 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 I seem to recall that on the Black Queens, not their last UK tour, but around the time of um, the first Black Queen album that Drab Majesty actually supported them yeah, in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the track that follows up, which is almost, I think, the lead single. It's certainly been played on uh, Dampy Carter's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oxytocin, or uh, it's pro- I'm probably mix, mix, uh, mispronouncing that. Mm. Um, that sort of pulsating bass on that track is like pure Joy Division worship. Yeah. Um, it, it's like in com- like relatively speaking, it, it's quite intense. But then it's it's balanced out by like these these really sort of lush reverb drenched guitars. The guitars are more prominent on this record than they were on the last, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, what, what? So you really like the other side? What's your favourite track on the album? If if you if you have one, I I don't really think I do have one. Oh, okay. To be honest, yeah. This is a this is an album that I've done a lot of work sort of trying to get into, and I feel has just kind of washed over me. Mm every time um, it's not an album where I particularly think I could hold up one track and and say this is you know this oh, is my favourite right, okay. um, I've you know I can't turn around and say that this is a bad album I think they they succeed mm. in what they're going for in terms of the mood um, in terms of atmosphere with the synths with the reverby guitar yeah the kind of snare work and stuff I mean it's all stuff you know, I've heard before. I think we've both heard. Yeah, it's before. not particularly original. No, I think... which um, which doesn't mean it's not effective and it's not good. It just hasn't really landed with me. Even right down to the kind of narrative that this album has of of the kind of modern technology yeah, being it... bad. It, we've heard so much of it in recent years. I'm I'm sort of starting to wish my phone would kill me. Um, <laughs> it, it's just not. I don't know, it's just kind of, um, this album's just, just kind of washed over me a bit, I'm afraid. Yeah, it, it, I will say it's, it's uh, really well produced, Yeah, I would say. It um, does sound great, yeah. And it is, it's an extremely stylized album. I mm-hmm. think, you know, Drab Majesty still wear their, their influences rather candidly on their, on their sleeve, mm-hmm. um, you know, both musically and aesthetically, even like... They've even like dialed down their image a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I know they do like the whole all white mannequin thing now, but it, you know, there w- there was definitely something much more interesting going on aesthetically about them mm-hmm. in, uh, like a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I've mentioned the the last album, the demonstration, a lot during this review. Um, I I do think if you a b modern mirror with the demonstration, it it definitely feels pared back. Yeah. Um, and far less kind of grandiose. 
And if that was Drab Majesty's intention, then great. Like, they've done the job, and it is a good album for, like, the purposes of being, like, this homage to 80s new wave and, and shoegaze mm-hmm. a little bit that you know towards the end of the album it goes more into like ride territories yeah. like the early days of shoegaze um i would have personally preferred them to to kind of stick to their guns a little bit and maybe like go even further into that kind of not of this world atmosphere that surrounded mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and and kind of made them stick out to me originally and what inspired me to go? Oh, there's a new Drab Majesty album. We should we should cover that. I think you'd really like it. Mm. Um, and then I heard the album. and I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I've maybe I actually I'm maybe giving this a, a generous amount of tea bags. Um, I've given it six out of ten. I was going to go for a six as well. I think oh, that really? stems from the place of it. Honestly, can't really say that this is a bad album. I would recommend it to people that that like this kind of 80s for fans of thing. the 80s yeah um, I think it's you know personally for me it's not doing things that other albums of this ilk are you gonna done. are you gonna go back to it particularly at all no, no. I'm gonna, I am gonna go back through their back catalogue I think after the way you've spoken about it has, yeah. has made me want to go check out the yeah. last album so that's Modern Mirror by, by Drab Majesty 6 tea bags out of 10 from each of us um, so the final July release we're going to talk about uh, before we go on to our sort of our recap segment um, is the latest EP from uh, Brightonian grunge punks Muskets, mm. uh, friends of the podcast. Um, they were the second ever guests on um, on Bitch and Brew. Mm. Um, the new EP is called Violent Paradise. Um, it came out on No Sleep Records, and you know what we're saying. We we spoke about them briefly on the um, on the Two Thousand Trees uh, review. Not that they were playing, but I was saying that they definitely felt like survivalists of a kind of a DIY scene, which is which was great for a little bit, but died out very quickly. Mm-hmm. Took took me back to my days of like house shows in twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. um, and I wish it had stayed around a little longer. But you know, like. I think we were talking about it when we were reviewing I Told You I'd Eat You, who had been one of those bands who have transcended that scene. And, and yeah, thank God Wolflower they did. as well, I think. Wolflower, exactly, yeah. 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 Um, uh, Muskets kind of joined those bands as kind of survivalists of that scene, which kind mm-hmm. of weeded out a lot of bands very quickly. Yeah. Um, I love Muskets, um, but I will be the, the first person to admit that their debut album, which was called Chew, mm-hmm. uh, that came out in 2017. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll be the first person to admit that it left me a little bit cold. Yeah, they're a band that I I feel like I've seen live a few times now. I always enjoy just, it. Just a bit. <laughs> always enjoy it. They're a band that I really like. I think their recorded output, kind of up to now, has never super engaged me. Oh really? I don't think. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chew, like. Chew, Chew had a couple of bangers for me. Yeah, uh, like Chewing Gum, mm-hmm. um, Frankie Stable as well, being a really good album track for me. Um, but it was not nearly enough to kind of deliver on their on their promise. It was especially disappointing for me, considering just how good their Spin EP was. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard that at all. It's their second EP. Yeah, yeah. Came out in 2015. It's one of the best EPs of the last few years. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fantastic, beginning to end. But you know, going back, going back to Chew, I saw them live around that time as well. It was at 2000 Trees, mm-hmm. um, and 
it felt like they'd lost their edge a little bit, which kind of made them stand out in the first place. And, you know, like I said, I didn't dislike Chew to the point where muskets were a total write-off. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wasn't as stoked for a muskets, a new muskets release, at least, uh, than I would have been maybe like two, three years ago, mm-hmm. off the back of the album. Um, but going on to, to Violent Paradise, I will say... This is much more fucking like it, lads. <laughs> this yeah. is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you feel the same? Then. Yes. This is. Um, it's clear that I I'm not as kind of connected to them as you are on a on a musical or a personal level. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, they're, they're they're mates, but I'll I'll be the first person to critique that. Album. <laughs> it's much like we did with the, when we were reviewing the Weather State one. I know people yeah. are going to be like, "You're biased," but <laughs> no, I just like the music my mates make. So I think even um, being as as kind of partially familiar as I am, I this sounds like a big step up to me in terms of how kind of musically dexterous it is, how much is kind of going on mm-hmm. in it. Um, even how much more the hooks kind of stick in my head yeah. on SCP, to be honest. I mean, from the off, the opening track, Uncertain Purpose, it really feels like Muskets have got their edge back. There, there are lots of parallels between this and the Weather State record mm-hmm. in terms of like just that kind of buzzsaw, guitar tone, throwbacks of like 90s college rock and like early pop punk. Yeah. Um, but this has that kind of extra layer of, of, of greebiness to it, yeah. doesn't it? You know, yeah, sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah. <That's>, sorry, <laughs> sorry to Alex Chung, their vocalist, if he is listening, but it does have that kind of, that extra layer of it to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I was totally ready for this. Like, off the, off the first two tracks, Uncertain Purpose and Detention, I was, I was kind of, I was ready for this to be 20 minutes of, of pure rages. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, fuck this. You know, gets it, gets it, Started really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, Empty on Cigarettes yeah. comes in. It's a change of pace. Really, really is. And yeah. and very, very well done, if I may say. So it's <laughs> it's really laid back. It's mm-hmm. quite sort of psychedelic by comparison. Yeah. They're all just a bunch of stoners. But like, um, <laughs> have you ever listened to the Jar of Flies EP by Alison Chains? No, I'm d- I don't think I have. Oh, it's sensational mate you should go and mm. check it out there, there's lots of um, Alison Chains sort of circa jar of flies yeah. uh, vibes on here I got um, Teenage Wrist vibes as well to bring oh, okay. it to, yeah, uh, yeah, to yeah. a band that we, that we both like I got that sort of slightly more on uh, a different track on the album okay. I don't have the track written down but mm-hmm. it's uh, Killjoy towards yeah, yeah, the end of yeah. the album definitely sort of pace wise yeah yeah um, I, I think they kind of tried this thing in places on Chew um, and it didn't go quite as well um, certainly not as well as Air has done here and I- I'd like to send a particular commendation to Joe Phillips, their drummer mm-hmm. because he usually waxes drums like an absolute thunder bastard um, but he's very sort of percussively very subtle mm-hmm. here you know, he's, he's kind of got the brushes out and he lets the eerie guitar melodies kind of take centre stage while he's yeah. just kind of providing little accents here and there mm-hmm. Um then the the, the the title track uh, sort of immediately follows that. It's kind of, you know, like I was saying earlier, stonery slack jaw, but it really rattles along. It's one of the best choruses I think they've written in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, possibly the best chorus I think they've written since the Spin EP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of going towards the end of the EP, 
Um, you know, they, they've had a couple of um, they've had a couple of lineup changes um, over over the course of the last couple of years. Um, I won't go through all of them, but um, Harry Harry Steele, who used to play in a, this really good sort of shoegaze band called Rain. They were signed uh, Venn Records for a little bit. Do you, do you, no, are you familiar? Their, their Symphony Pains EP. I'm giving a lot of things for people to listen yeah, to yeah. This, this week. Uh, it's fantastic. He's now on guitar and vocals. He used to be on bass. Um, and there's there's more vocal interplay mm-hmm. than I think there was when it was Alex and uh, Dan Smith. Um, I, I really miss um, uh, Kenny's harsher vocals. Kenny's not been in the band for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, like compared to like Alex just sounding like a massive stoner. <laughs> um, but Harry does the, the sort of shoegaze vocal thing really, really yeah, well. Yeah. Um, I think he actually does the lead vocals on Natural Selection, which is the final track. Mm-hmm. It certainly sounds like it's not Alex. Um, they're sort of very wistful and, and contemplative, but it's kind of backed by these really mournful sounding strings. Yeah. Um, like you were saying about this being a much more musically dexterous record, I think that's kind of the shining moment. That and empty on cigarettes. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there is kind of little flourishes in this that that are really really cool. Um, the kind of guitar flourishes on the title track um, mm. that you spoke about, little things like that that I think elevate this even above what the band are doing, which is great. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think you know to round this off. I think there's still work to be done with muskets for me mm. um, just just as a result of that debut album um, I don't mean to kind of go back to that so often but um, this has this has gone some bloody way to to like regaining a lot of my adoration for muskets yeah this makes me very excited for, for what comes next but that's a full length yeah I, I needed I needed this EP really because I think if they just petered out after after Chew I would have been really gutted because mm-hmm. they definitely have more in them and I, I really hope that they still have the, the sort of the confidence to experiment a little bit more like they, they did on like they, they, they have done on this EP with like Empty on Cigarettes especially mm-hmm. um, it's worked so much better this time round and you know something that intrigued me we said this came out on No Sleep Records No Sleep are a US label mm-hmm. Get them stateside. Get them on the road out there. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Like, I don't really have eyes on this kind of thing. It, you know, I know touring the US is not easy, and there may have been attempts to do this in the past, mm-hmm. but you know, just lo- for logistical reasons, may never have happened. But really, I think now is the time to try and make that work. Yeah, they could go on tour with bands like Basement and bands like Teenage Wrist that I mentioned. Te- I think Teenage Wrist would be a really good band. A I'm lot thinking. Of fans. Former former No Sleep signees Drug Church. I know they've yeah. toured with Drug Church in the UK over okay. here before, but I'd I'd really like to see them open up for Drug Church. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I think they need to like sign to a UK label over here and maybe get a little bit more of a of a of a following over here. They yeah. they tour quite extensively. Mm-hmm. I just want to see them get like a really good supporting slot now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's um. That's Violent Paradise, the new EP by Muskets. It's out now on No Sleep Records. Uh, I have given it um, eight tea bags out of ten. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go an eight. I was gonna go a seven. I'm gonna go an eight. Yeah, yeah. I, it's bloody bloody. It good. is really good. 
So that's the releases from July covered. There were like a few more releases that, you know, essentially became like we're going to chat about two releases from July, which became three, then became four. So we're doing it half and half, Mm -hmm. essentially. And we'll probably end up having to now go back to July and cover some of the <laughs> some of the albums that we've missed on a future episode but you know we wanted to take this opportunity uh, on a slightly slower month to kind of um to revisit some of the albums that we didn't have time for mm-hmm. um at the on the on the months that they came out uh so kicking us off for our, our recap segment um is Frank Iero uh, and his band The Future Violence mm-hmm. uh this is the the third solo album uh, it's called Barriers I should say came out on Unified uh, in May um, the third solo album from the former guitarist of, of several bands um, but most notably a band called My Chemical Romance now uh, Brett are you familiar with My uh, Chemical Romance I've at heard all? of them what, what I don't think I've actually <laughs> genuinely asked you before because I'm, I'm a huge MCR yeah. fan how, how are you um, how are you about MCR they're, I, I like them I, I missed the whole MCR thing, yeah. Um, so I was, I'm, I, I'm not as connected to them as a lot of people, yourself included, mm. are. Um, but they're good. I like the one. What's the one before Black Parade? Uh, Three Cheers for Sweet That's Revenge. That's my favourite one. I it's, like that album a lot. A f- fucking great album. Yeah. We can't get started on this. <laughs> we'll be here all day. Um, so yeah, this uh, this album Barriers follows on from. Uh, well, first of all, there was uh, Frank's uh, first solo album, Stomach Aches. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I explained when I was reviewing their set at 2003s, so I have a little bit of a connection mm-hmm. uh, because I was working for Hassle Records at the time that this was uh, Stomach Aches came out in 2014. Um, I, I love the album, and I'm not just mm-hmm. saying that from like a biased perspective, but it was Frank pouring what little energy he had at the time into this scuzzy sort of punk rock it had almost like a demo vibe to it just Mm -hmm. how rough around the edges it sounded Uh, and the album that followed that in 2016 was Parachutes um, which by comparison definitely felt more dynamic Uh, still had great punk rock energy but it was produced by Ross Robinson Mm -hmm. so it had that sort of much higher production value than, Mm -hmm. than Stomach Aches um, so Brad, I, I know you you hadn't listened to any of those albums prior. So did you really have any expectations going into Barriers at all? Um, bearing Some. in mind you're not so familiar with like Frank's post MCR output, as, no, I, as I, I know, know from previous conversations. Yeah, um, I I feel like I had some expectations based on what I don't really know, mm. um, and they weren't really met with this album. Oh, right, okay. Which maybe sounds negative, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you had me going there for a second. I mean, um, before before we go into this album, I wanted to, to talk about the future violence because, you know, I say this is a solo record from Frank, but what, one thing I've always really admired about Frank is is his desire for, for reinvention with mm-hmm. each record because the name of the band has changed. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it was Stomach Aches, it was uh, Frank Iron and the Celebration. Um on parachutes, it was Frank Iron and the Patience, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the Future Violence, um, and it's a different lineup as well. Oh, There's okay. only uh, one member from the Future Violence which has been in each incarnation, okay. and that's Evan Nestor, which is the uh, his other guitarist um, and also his brother-in-law. Uh-huh. Uh, but otherwise, the members have, have changed each time. Uh, so the other members are Matt Armstrong, who plays bass. He played in a band called Murder by Death. I'm not overly familiar with them. Um, but then I'm definitely familiar with the the band that their drummer Tucker Rule came from. He's from a small band called Thursday. Oh. Um, 
and Kaylee Goldsworthy uh, completes the lineup here. Uh, the first time he's had an official member on on keys, and uh, she also does violin um, or like strings mm-hmm. and and some backing vocals. She actually came from um, Dave House's backing band, The Mermaids, who mm-hmm. who um, who Frank went on tour with a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the future violence, and out of all the records he's put out so far, this one feels and sounds like it has the most in the way of a band dynamic. It is as much a future violence record as it is a Frank Iero record. Mm-hmm. Um, I would barely call it a solo endeavor mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so sorry, I cut you off there. So you were saying about how your expectations weren't necessarily met on barriers, but not in a bad way. Yeah, um, I was expecting, I think, something a lot less weirder than this album. Mm. Something that maybe doesn't go to as many places as this album. Um, whether that's from maybe some of the bands he's toured with or or something like that. Mm. Um, the opening track surprised me. Straight away, a, a new day's coming. A new day's coming. It's almost kind of bluesy. Mm. Um, you know, is there kind of like Bob Dylan vibes there? Maybe a little bit. For, for me, it almost had like a bit of a doo wop production to it. Yeah, there's yeah, fifties, sixties yeah. sort of thing going on. But like pushed through this almost Weezer esque college yeah. rock filter I've got Weezer in my notes quite a lot do you on this like record. that opening song I, I I really like it I think it's I a... don't like it at all I'm really really <laughs> glad that it does not continue in that really vein, really I, I I sort of heard that and I was like oh no this is this what he's doing on on this one yeah um but it it, it goes to plenty of other places uh, young and doomed which is the first you know, dare I say, the first kind of actual song. Oh, okay. It yeah, feels yeah. more like an intro, the other one. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's much more the kind of thing I expected to hear. Am I right in thinking that's got the most in common with... Yeah, because I would say, you know, like, um, when, you know, much like I said this when I, when I reviewed Their Shirt Trees, Frank has always felt like the one member of MCR who always stuck the closest to his roots mm-hmm. in, in hardcore punk rock. I am. Um, I was very lucky to interview him quite early on in his sort of solo endeavour, mm-hmm. and um, he was telling me how much he thrives off of kind of imperfection and intimacy. You know, yeah. he, he he remembers the smaller shows much more than like the time he opened for Muse at Wembley Stadium or, mm-hmm. or like Headline Download in two thousand seven. Um, you know, essentially those moments are a bit of a, a blur to him because mm-hmm. he just kind of closed his eyes and got on with it, and yeah. then he got down into these these much smaller venues that he's doing now and and has found more confidence as a front man um and I, I would say that that feeling of imperfection has come through on all of his solo releases thus far mm-hmm. um it's you know and what we were saying about that um a, a new day's coming there, there there is that college rock element that stays pretty much throughout the record yeah um it's like a very rough around the edges sound um yeah. i think it really works it to its advantage i think so um, um yeah sorry you <laughs> no no not at all what i was going to say was that that all said it's it's not that you know it it's not that it's not grandiose in yeah. any sort of place you know what you're saying about young and doomed 
it could quite easily fit into this sort of punk rock musical should ever should Frank ever decide to like go down that grand <laughs> conceptual route again like he did with MCR and, and kind of write a musical or something Young and Doomed would certainly not sound out of place on mm-hmm. there um, so yeah it's, it's, it's kind of nice juxtaposition of having a really rough around the edges sound but yeah. very grandiose in places yeah I think that's an example of a perhaps more upbeat song yeah, on this album uh, yeah. I, I feel this album there's a kind of a, a sort of post-punk layer mm. that comes in more on some songs than on others uh, like the the fourth track on the album uh, The Host mm-hmm. uh, like the guitars tonally I love what's Definitely. going on with them it's yeah, slightly yeah. ethereal and it kind of shines out amongst all the distortion mm-hmm. yeah um, even Fever Dream which is I think the third yeah the track, track that has, precedes it yeah yeah. Um, the kind of quite sort of crunchy riffing yeah um, I love that word Crun- crunchy riffs is... Crun- yeah do you like crunchy bars yeah, I love. I also love um, crunchy nut. The cereal. Yeah, yeah. So crunch. You just give me all the crunchy. Give me stuff. Give me all the crunch. Give me that crunch. Um. <laughs> um, and also the keys, which I think the use of keys um, is something that definitely adds that feeling of post-punk. Yeah, I love what Kaylee Goldsworthy brings to the equation. Mm-hmm. Here. You'll you'll hear it if you go back and listen to Frank's other records. The the whole other layer that she adds to this. To this album in terms of like backing vocals and keys and that that's totally new within the arena of Frank's sort of solo work and I I feel like he could have maybe introduced that sooner to be mm-hmm. honest I mean you say <laughs> that the um, <laughs> bless you very professional um, that you saying that that isn't present on, on the previous albums makes me want to not want to go and oh really because that is what I sort of really <laughs> latched onto with this and the songs that don't have it don't really do much right, okay. for me. I think what you said about the um, imperfection and stuff, I do like and admire that mm. about about what Frank's doing. I think the way he uses his voice yeah. is great. I think it's fair to say he's maybe not the most technically gifted singer. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you thought of his vocal stylings because... Um, I should have mentioned, by the way, this album was produced by Steve Albini. Mm. Um, he worked with him on the Keep the Coffins Coming EP, okay. which came out before this. Um, much like Ross Robinson, who Frank worked with on Parachutes, I feel like Albini produced records really explore the human element of Sonics mm-hmm. and and kind of and highlight those imperfections. Mm-hmm. I think Frank and Steve probably had a lot of that in common, you know. Yeah. Uh, listening to albums like In Utero and you know albums from the Pixies and Breeders mm-hmm. and bands like that, PJ Harvey. Frank is really not the best vocalist on the planet. Let's face <laughs> it. Um, into you know on a technical level, he's not really the best at like holding a note or having a particularly huge range. Mm-hmm. I would say, but neither was Kurt Cobain, neither was Rivers Cuomo, neither go. was was Billy Corgan. You know, I think I'd so much rather hear him as he's doing on this album write and work around that and build the songs around that than than auto-tune it to fuck yeah you know (laughs) yeah exactly which is what i actually admire all the way through this album even on songs that don't work for me quite as much there's a song called um sorry if i'm flying through this album a bit um there's a song called moto pop which is a kind of more sort of hip shaking rock and roll Mm. number that kind of thing doesn't 
You prefer the more much. grandiose material. So, like, there's a mm-hmm. track called Ode to Destruction, mm-hmm. which is a, is a highlight on the record for me. Again, goes down that route of being quite grandiose. Yeah. Not nearly to the sort of super-produced theatrical MCR on the Black no, Parade kind of... But it's atmospheric, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound nearly as much like Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's what my grandmother thought of the Black Parade, by the way. We were listening to it in the car once when I was like 13. She was like, it sounds quite like Queen, the Black Parade. She's not a million miles off. No, no, I'd say, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't say so either. I, I really like the fact that he's chosen producers to work with that are really going to bring out the absolute. Yeah. That bring that that really kind of focus on those those little imperfections that Frank mm-hmm. has. Definitely. Um yeah, I mean this this album. For, for I I I think this album is great. It carries that same air of joyful nihilism in mm-hmm. places that that we mentioned when we were reviewing the Pup record. I don't think it's quite as good as that Pup record. I'll no. be honest. But this is an album built on ideals of like survivalism and and the perspective that you we haven't even mentioned the fact that while they were touring parachutes there was quite a tragic accident Mm -hmm. in um in australia hence the song six feet down under Mm -hmm. um towards the end of the album where um a bus basically um collided with their van while it was parked uh i i know that there was like they they were pretty close to it not going so well for them. Mm-hmm. If you get what I mean, mm-hmm. I know that Evan got pretty badly fucked up physically for, off the back of it. I think Frank was okay, but you know, still, it's that kind of you were very shaken by it, and the, mm-hmm. and the kind of the what ifs. So you know, the perspective that you that you get after something like that is you know it it, it does make this album very introspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at times it's like very glorious and, and kind of heartwarming and, yeah. and, and urgent as well. You know, they're playing with every fibre of their being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think there's, there's, to kind of round this off, I don't think there's ever been so many calls for a band to reunite like there has been for My Chemical Romance. <laughs> they're kind of like, you know how people always want Nirvana to reunite with like a revolving yeah. cast of singers, much like they did it, was it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where they did yeah, that? Yeah. They had like St. Vincent come out and sing Lithium, which was amazing. Um, so like you know maybe Nirvana or like Pantera people are always saying Pantera should reunite or I mean this is obviously before Vinnie Paul died last year so mm. you know I don't think that's ever going to happen no. um, but they're Literally, you cannot go a single day without the music press going, something new's happening with My Chemical Romance. Of course it's not. They've all got their own shit yeah. going on, you know? Like, it does feel like Frank might never be able to shift that shadow that looms over him that is MCR. Mm. But he's doing damn well to, like, try and step as far away from it as he can. Yeah. Um, and and he's doing so with the help of incredible musicians. This this the, what I was saying earlier. This definitely feels much more like a, a group effort, and that mm-hmm. dynamic really shines through. I think you know, like I was saying about Kaylee, but kind of being outside of Frank, the MVP of this album for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I like they're they're all wearing matching boiler suits on oh, the stage really? now. Maybe Ross Robinson gave him that idea. It's <laughs> yeah. like I worked with this band that wore boiler suits on stage. You should do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are the other band doing now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, not not a lot. <laughs> um, should we give this a rating? Uh, I've given it eight out of ten. I'm going to go for a seven. You're going to go for a seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you like? I know. I obviously said that Kaylee's keys and strings are kind of a new thing uh, with this. Are you going to go back and listen to 
if I get some spare time, I think I might dip back into yeah. the last two albums. Definitely start with Stomachaches for me. Is, mm-hmm. is the, the the debut album? Yeah. I think I still preferred Parachutes, mm-hmm. but it's all been building up to this bigger, grander thing. Okay. So um, so the next album is going to sound just like the Bat Parade. <laughs> Fucking! Uh, I've just screwed my chances of ever getting Frank on the podcast. <laughs> so that's uh, Frank Iero and the Future Violence, and that album is called Barriers. That came out in May on Unified Records. Um, another album which came out in May. I've realised, by the way, that like three of the four albums that we're recapping came out in May. Yeah, that but wasn't in April. May was insane. Wasn't it, it really was. We yeah. had like massive albums out in May: Biffy Clyro and mm-hmm. Ramstein and uh, Tyler the Creator as well, yeah, wasn't that? Yeah. Um, employed to serve yeah tons tons of albums came out in May so another album we're going to recap from May I know we discussed covering it at the time mm-hmm. but just ran out of space um, We Never Learn to Live is the name of the band mm-hmm. uh, their album is called The Sleepwalk Transmissions it's album number two from the the Brighton based atmospheric post hardcore five piece yeah um, something of a, a long awaited follow up uh to the to their 2015 debut album, which was called Silently I Threw Them Skyward. Mm-hmm. Fantastic name for an <laughs> album, if you ask me. Um, do you want a fun fact before we go into this? Go on. In research for this, I had an inkling that I kind of saw um, We Never Learned to Live really early on, but under a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because, obviously, Brighton is not far from my hometown in Horsham in West Sussex. Um, but I actually realised I've shared a bill with the former incarnation of We really? Never Learned to Live. They used to be called If Heroes Should Fail. Ah. And it was my first gig with my old band on my 17th birthday wow. at Horsham Youth Centre. <laughs> Which old band? Uh, that We were called A Few Days Remain. Ah. I don't know if I've ever showed you videos. I've been, yeah. Moving on. Upload them. Uh, <laughs> them. Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to make people want all the extra incentives. Um, if there ever is one, it should just be filled with embarrassing photos and videos from your past, I think. Oh my God, we've found our niche. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess if Hero Should Fail, like, um, and I saw him do like local Battle of the Band stuff as well, mm-hmm. on like the, the, the Horsham bandstand in the town centre. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I guess they were kind of one of those bands we, we almost sort of looked up to because there were such high aspirations to break the Brighton scene. Mm-hmm. When, when you're kind of Horsham or Crawley-based, uh, you're kind of between London and Brighton, but Brighton had like a burgeoning metalcore scene at the time at mm-hmm. venues like the Hydrant. So I guess they were kind of part of that scene. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I found that quite, uh, you know, small world really. Mm-hmm. Um and now we're covering their their new album, The Sleepwalk Transmissions. Um, so you know, I, I kind of tuned out of that scene after after a little while, and I do remember hearing silently I threw them skyward, um, and and liking it. You know, I I it didn't really stick with me mm-hmm. like other debut albums from this scene has mm-hmm. in recent years. But I think it definitely showed potential. So. That brings us to the Sleepwalk Transmissions. Yeah. Um, so, Brad, this band assigned to Holy Raw Records, mm-hmm. and at times they sound a bit like Deftones. Yeah. How big was your stiffy for this record? <laughs> um, it was sizable. Um, <laughs> Girthy. It's, this is... Um, those things you said are, are true. This is also in a kind of, I feel, in a sort of similar... Sim- similar 
lineage to kind of post-hardcore, British post-hardcore bands mm. that I really, really like. I, you know, I hear bits of kind of Funeral for a Friend and bands like Palm Reader and mm. stuff in this. Yeah. Um, even newer stuff, I think, in the, some of the more melodic stuff, it kind of, not a million miles away from that Holding Absence album that we reviewed i think yeah very much so um i mean one thing it definitely shares with those albums is is from the off the, the production on this record is is kind of next level it's mm. interstellar i believe it's produced by lewis johns right. um over at the ranch in southampton um as as most of the sort of brilliant holy raw releases are <laughs> yeah. these days um and it, it's definitely built to sound massive mm-hmm. uh, the single android anesthetist I think is the best example of that. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall, however, that they they took much more influence from kind of post rock yeah. on on silently. Um, and while I, I think the use of space on this record is at times very very good. Yeah. Um, there's another one, the singles Retreat Syndrome, mm-hmm. um, where the notes are quite spaced out, and that works really well. It's you know still got a really thick sound, yeah, really textured. Uh, one of my standout tracks from this uh, towards the end is called Owari. Are we mm-hmm. saying it like that as well? Kind yeah. of does a similar thing, but you know, d- despite those those kind of um, you know the, those post rock things coming through, I do feel like this record seems much more straightforward in places did did you ever listen to no, the first album I did not no. I think I'm going to have to revisit I, you know yeah. not enough hours in the day I really haven't had a chance to go back to that record mm-hmm. um, so I feel like I maybe should have AB'd the two but yeah. this definitely feels like much more sort of straightforward mm-hmm. yeah I think this is um, I say deceptively eclectic I think it's supposed I think it is a post-hardcore record but I think mm-hmm. it dips into lots of different things um luma non luma the song my favorite song on the album it's the one i think that stands out for having the the real soaring chorus yeah i get massive alexis on fire vibes oh that, wow yeah. Chorus. yeah i didn't think about um, that it's a real showcase um i haven't got the vocalist's name Sh- sean mon okay yeah yeah he's a real showcase for his kind of vocal ability i think i don't song. i don't think his vocals are quite as compelling as some of his contemporaries but mm-hmm. my god does he know his way around a hook yeah that, you know i'm glad you said luma non luma because that that simple um that simple just repeated line of the passenger of the self yeah. you know that it's so compelling yeah um yeah he he really knows his way around a hook on this record Definitely. That, that's the best example yeah. there are other good examples that I'm not going to repeat <laughs> it's um i think that song's immediately followed by um wounds like wires which is a that song kind of goes much heavier i think particularly the rhythm section really double down yeah and and go heavy I get fake history era let live vibes mm. off of um, off of that track in particular. That is no bad thing. Yeah, no, definitely um, not. And um, you mentioned Owari, which is another one that stood out for me because that I think goes much more kind of labyrinthine and sprawling. Yeah, its soundscape. And if you're saying that they used to dip into post rock, that that's probably the closest thing. I would say it's an album of two halves, and that there's there there are more post rock elements here on the second half of the album, particularly mm-hmm. with that track Owari and um, and Retreat Syndrome, um, you know, and the, the the tracks get slightly longer. The the tracks are longer on on Silently I Threw Them Skyward for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so I think they get more elaborate with that sort of post rocky experimental vibe, but. 
you know, uh, I, I um, you know, you were saying about the, this whole post-hardcore thing. I don't want to just base this review just off of comparisons. No. But, you know, it's hard to kind of look past the fact that, you know, there there is, and I don't want to use this as a critique either, but there there is a massive movement of bands in the UK particularly mm-hmm. that that feels very dynamically influenced by that time where bands like Funeral for a Friend and Alexis on Fire really ruled the roost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glassjaw as well, yeah. I think, if we're going back a little bit earlier. But, you know, and we've mentioned those bands like Palm Reader, like Holding Absence, um, to a lesser extent, Loathe. Yeah, I suppose uh, you could... even Black Peaks a, a bit. Yeah, although well, I feel like Black Peaks but... are more technical and progressive, yeah. I would mm. say. Um I think this is a really good record, mm-hmm. but for me, we never learned to live. Don't really do a huge amount that pushes them that far ahead of the curve. Yeah, and I don't know whether it's the fact that they're signed to Holy Raw um, that you, there's that kind of expectation for them to to really push forward on that. Mm. Um, like you know, that that sounds like a massive criticism. I don't I don't think for a second that. We never learned to live. Are going to lose any momentum mm-hmm. off the back of this record? It's. I think it's really, really good. Um, but I don't think at the same time that this is going to propel them massively. You know, much like something like Braille by Palm Reader did, or that debut holding absence record. Mm-hmm. It's a really huge sounding record, and and there are those sort of staggering moments of real melodic brilliance. I can't stress enough how much I love that chorus from Lumen on Lumen. It just kind of made me stop what I was doing yeah. at the time and just sort of gape at my um, at my speakers. <laughs> um, and, you know, if they are listening, lads, more of that, please. Um, but, you know, I also feel like in being more concise, there is, there is a noticeable absence of, of at least one big... Instru- like mainly mostly instrumental like post rock epic okay. to really elevate this record yeah i think they could have really benefited from that and I, th- I i know from listening to their first album that they can do that yeah so maybe a little bit more balance yeah in, this in, is interesting i sort of came at it from a different direction but then i i haven't listened to the previous album and right. i think i really came away from this feeling like there isn't really a wasted second on it and actually right. they've tightened it up very nicely as a body of work. Yeah. And I think, if I'm right, there's a sort of slight instrumental passage at the beginning and end of the album mm. um, on those songs. They're not separate songs. No. And and that I kind of felt like that was enough for me of that and that actually I, I really appreciated the conciseness throughout yeah. the records. Yeah, I, I see um, what you mean there. Mm. It is, it is it, you know, there, there is very little in the way of fat on this record. Yeah. I, I don't... It's all very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still going to see that set at Tangent, if I oh, can. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not like stuck backstage, mm-hmm. because I've heard their live shows, much like Holding Absence. So that's my beer coming back <laughs> again, isn't it? I'm disgusting. Um, yeah, I, I've, what was I saying? I've heard their live shows are really powerful. Oh, cool. Much, much like when we went to see Holding Absence earlier this mm-hmm. year. So, um, so you know, if I was to say that, like, I feel basically about We Never Learned to Live as I felt, like, I felt about Palm Reader on, like, Bad Weather. Mm-hmm. So they're not quite, at, like, beside the ones we love mm-hmm. level yet of, of excitement for me. They can get there, though. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they can get there with another record. And I'd like them to come out with something maybe a little bit sooner next time. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, yeah, I, I like it. I've given it 7 out of 10. 7 tea bags. I'm going for an 8. Oh, excellent. Yeah, okay. yeah I, I, I really like this. I think it's... I find it such a good experience listening to this. I think it's probably going to grow on me mm. throughout the year, yeah. Alright, so that's We Never Learn to Live and the Sleepwalk Transmissions. I'm definitely not giving up on that band, that's mm-hmm. for sure. It's a, it's a great album, but yeah, yeah it's very good (laughs) we've got two more records to talk about Mm -hmm. Um, and this is another one from the month of May uh, that we didn't have time to talk about when it came out Um, it comes from Full of Hell the album's called Weeping Choir it's their first album on Relapse Records Um, not knowing very much about Full of Hell I was quite pleasantly surprised to realise that this is their seventh album uh, from the from the American uh, Grindcore four yeah, piece yeah. Um, I say seventh if you include all their collaborative efforts they've, they've got a sort of a back catalogue of, of like um, experimental collaborations with bands like The Body mm-hmm. um, so this is their fourth album proper but seventh album overall because mm-hmm. I know they consider those experimental collab pieces to be like full albums yeah um, like I said this is their first album since signing to, to kind of relapse records uh, they were previously on a label called Profound Law which is kind of a well-respected label within the realms of death and extreme metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but Relapse, I mean, is up there with Death Wish, Holy Raw, um, to a lesser extent Roadrunner, mm-hmm. as like flag bearers of boundary-pushing heavy music. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like a bit of a knob for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but... This is my first time ever listening to Full of Hell. Yeah, me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I know that Trumpeting Ecstasy, their their last actual Full of Hell record, was absolutely adored when it came out in 2017. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why I never got around to it. It was probably because Code Orange uh, Forever came out in that year. And I was like, okay, well, I'm done for heavy music for this year. This is like, this has filled my plate. It, it was probably more just the fact that there was never enough hours in the day, and that was a yeah. pretty, pretty stacked year, to be honest. Um, so you didn't listen to that album, nope, at all. No, no. Stupid feel, idiot. feel a bit silly now, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Um, when we, and I don't mean like just the two of us, like mm-hmm. when, when like people within this community as a whole talk about those sort of game changers in in heavy music whether we're talking about code orange or or kind of vein mm-hmm. or like you know the more sort of like european bands like amon ra mm-hmm. oathbreaker venom prison high lung um, <laughs> <laughs> full of hell are quite often regarded as part of that circle mm-hmm. a lot of people really love full of hell um so yeah i was i was definitely you know willing to go in on this record yeah, yeah. When I stuck this on, and I, I have a confession to make, um, I you know I've been actively critiquing music now for like going on ten years, mm-hmm. um, and it's very hard to kind of not immediately put my reviewer's hat on, and just start making like even just mental notes. Yeah. From the second I push play, yeah. it's really bad habit of mine. I should like listen to the full album first before I make any sort of judgments. Yeah. And the first three tracks of this album, uh, I mean, it really doesn't take like a second to warm up at all. There's no like atmospheric swirl. It just no. goes straight in with the blast beats on on a track called Burning Myrrh. Um, and I'm thinking that you know, like it's a pretty solid melding of black and death metal and like, like grindcore. Really yeah. fucking heavy. 
there's a track called Haunted Arches, the second uh, song. Mm. And I think rhythmically that does a bit of like a, a stoner metal gallop to mm-hmm. it, which I thought, oh yeah, this is this is pretty ace actually. It sounds like something High on Fire might do or something yeah. like that. Um, I was really enjoying it, but I couldn't help but think, why why this band? Like, why are they being heralded as like one of the the game changers of extreme music? Why are they the ones who get championed by Relapse Records? Who get to work with Kurt Ballou in the studio on multiple yeah. occasions? Why why this band? Because from the off, this just sounds like another just like really decent black and death metal grindy extreme record, yeah. right? I don't think I've ever had to swallow my words. <laughs> And wash it down with a, a slice of a big old chunk of humble pie, any quicker <laughs> than I did after those first three tracks on this. Did you go through something similar? Yeah, I think I I was a, very impressed, even from the word go, by how many sub genres I think they are weaving mm. Into their sound, um, I've got here that it, they've basically done Inception with subgenres of grindcore <laughs> and death metal, where they've gone into a subgenre inside a subgenre inside yeah. a subgenre, about five layers deep, I think. Um, which I think was impressive, but yeah, I think I'm with you that maybe I wasn't quite seeing what that level of yeah. of, of um, prestige was about. And then where it turned round for me was was track four, which is called Rainbow Coil. Yeah. Um, which basically is a three-minute sort of cacophony of, of noise, static crackling feedback. There's these sort of scattershot drums that are recorded yeah. at a very sort of biscuiting quality. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like these garbled screaming vocals. And I'm I'm thinking at the time, like, my phone's across the room, I've got, like, Bluetooth headphones on, I'm thinking, oh, this is, like, a 30, 40-second interlude or, like, intro to a song. It goes on for, like, it's a fucking three-minute song in itself. (laughs) Yeah. And eventually those drums, I mean, my God, those drums become what, like, they essentially become, like, semi-automatic rifle fire. The only other time I've heard a band do that is... Did you listen to that Anal Nathrak record last year? It was horrific, wasn't it? Um, What's even more harrowing is that that machine gun fire that eventually becomes at the end of Rainbow Coil, it kind of, you know, it kind of all fades away. Mm -hmm. You're thinking, oh, okay, thank God that's over. Then it fucking comes back! (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's kind of isolated when it comes back, isn't it? It's horrible! Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, when you watch movies and stuff, it's like, explosions, machine gunfire. I don't think you ever realise just how horrible the sound of gunfire actually is. Yeah, it's really horrible. Yeah, um, (laughs) and it becomes the foundation for the song that follows, which is called Aria of Jeweled Tears. And it is truly, truly disturbing, mm-hmm. but in a way that like some of the best horror films of the last few years are. Mm. Um, and then there's like later on that song, there's like vocal interplay of like nails down the blackboard screeching. Yeah, and then some more like beefed up hardcore leaning vocals, and they're just repeating the line, hurling violently towards the sun. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? It's. I was very uncomfortable for the remainder of this record. Yeah, the the um, I believe they they have dual vocalists. I think. Yeah. And um, they the two vocalists do have very different registers, mm. and the way that they interplay, kind of all the way through the album, is 
it's just another thing in that kind of maelstrom sound that they that they've got. Yeah, it, it's it's hella unsettling. It's a bit like uh, what um, the singer and guitarist from Vane. I don't remember their names, but it's kind of like what they've got going on. Yeah, I, I mean their lead vocalist, if you will, Dylan Walker. He's an incredible vocalist when you mm. consider his range. Yeah, like one minute he's doing those those horribly shrill vocals, and then. Uh, like there's a song later on the record called Silmaril mm-hmm. which I believe is a J.R.R. Tolkien reference yeah I believe so yeah. Um, it sounds like he's paying tribute to like old school death metal it's mm-hmm. like pure corpse grinder from Cannibal Corpse mm-hmm. kind of grunting yeah um, yeah this this um, this album just kind of it thrives on sensory overload yeah um, I think to, if I could talk about my, f- my favourite track which is um Armoury of Obsidian Glass. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the longest track on the album. Nearly seven minutes. Nearly, yeah. So by quite a distance, it's the longest, I think. Yeah. Um, it's the most kind of textured. It has a guest appearance from uh, Lingua Ignota. Yeah, so I've heard a lot about this Lingua Ignota record. Have you listened mm-hmm. to it? No. Uh, I'm scared to yeah, after, after hearing a shout out riot act as yeah. we do every every episode, but I'm actually quite scared to yeah, listen to I that record. Yeah, I feel like I should. Um, I know she I will. Was, I know that Kristen from Lingua Ignota, or AKA Lingua Ignota, mm-hmm. was on uh, uh, Tim's podcast, Just an Insight. Oh wow! Very recently, so I'm up to I go back and listen to that one, yeah. knowing more about Lingua Ignota now. Yeah. I still can't bring myself to listen to that I don't album know how yet. I though. That. Um, that her vocals on this on this song add this kind of otherworldly kind of haunting yeah. quality to the song. It's it, it's quite a far cry from some of the other stuff on the album, although it, it is just as brutal sonically. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, a very totally welcome change aspect. of pace for me. Mm-hmm. It's kind of seven minutes of droning doom. It's very droning, yeah. Yeah, their use of electronics, I should really mention. Their use of atmospherics and noise and sampling is, is second to none for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, what you were saying, it kind of ends on this really magnificent... I don't want to even say graceful, just on account of how heavy it is, but mm. the melodic passage has almost like Cult of Luna... Yeah. Neurosis vibes. Definitely, yeah. Uh, like, strangely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, there's not a moment of reprieve on this record, <laughs> no. is there, still? Um, it's amazing how many kind of genres and different bands we've referenced in mm. this review. I, it, it's quite baffling how yeah. much they do in this canvas um, while keeping it all feeling... You know, this album just flies by. It, it really does. Punches yeah. you in the face repeatedly and then it's over. Yeah. But there is so much actually going on. Um, Angels Gather here is a song that has kind of got like industrial, mm-hmm. 90s industrial vibes from that, which is yeah. a totally other thing that they go into. I mean, you know, this this is this is the first Full of Hell record. Mm-hmm. I don't I like reading up for this. It's their first album since they've actually moved away from one another. Yeah. So they weren't like writing this record together. I think Spencer Hazard, who is their their guitarist and sort of does a lot of the electronics as well, alongside mm-hmm. Dylan, wrote the lion's share of the songs and then brought them to the band. Mm-hmm. And I would I think that they they they're definitely that definitely reflects in in the way it feels like there's there's absolutely no second guessing with this record. Yeah. It's a definite kitchen sink approach on some songs. There's a song towards the end called, is it Igramul the Many? Mm-hmm. i probably mispronouncing <laughs> that. But it's only a minute long, a minute and a half long, sorry. And halfway through it just descends into like freeform 
jazz core influence noise, <laughs> um, which is horrible. It's like orchestrated chaos. Mm. Um, this album, it really is just horrible, isn't it? I can't use that word <laughs> yeah, enough. It is. I think it is fair to say that it just about stands for me toe to toe with Venom Prison as the, the the extreme record of 2019 so far. I think mm-hmm. it's absolutely fucking brilliant, but it's so extreme in places that I I came this close. Dear listener, you can see my thumb and index finger are quite close together right now, to 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 kind of tapping out. Yeah, I thought I like to think that I have a pretty good threshold when it comes to like uncomfortably heavy music. But I remember I was actually we're sat in my kitchen right now. Mm-hmm. I was cleaning said kitchen. Uh, the first time I stuck this on, I was just going, "Oof, this is a bit much." <laughs> I know, like, there's probably like some grindcore elitists out there who have like you know shaking their head right yeah, now. Yeah, like, oh, if you never heard. Fucked by the Kraken, by <laughs> by uh, by the band Rotting Cock or something. I, d- I don't know. Like, <laughs> like don't at me. Okay, this is like as extreme as it really gets for me. Um, yeah, well, me too. Yeah, me too. Um, and even on that kind of one less intense moment on Armory of, of Obsidian Glass. There really is no absolutely letting up with this. And no, over- and I think even sorry to jump it, even though it is less kind of disgusting, it's still very unsettling, and mm. it doesn't actually really you can't you don't really get to relax. Yeah, even still, it is basically the audio equivalent of being in the hell sequence in Event Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, if that sounds like your thing, um, you should definitely go and listen to Weeping Choir by Full of Hell, which I'm giving. I'm going to give it an eight out of ten, but it is a a high old eight. Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine because of how you know it's kind of really blown my mind. Is it your kind of extreme record of the year so far? Um, I f- I think I'm with you on that. It's up there with Venom Prison, and mm. those two are going to have to duke it out. Yeah. for their spots. Yeah, at the end of the year. All right then, so Full of Hell, Weeping Choir, that's out now on Relapse Records. Final album to talk about. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to go get some pizza. Yeah. Yeah, more beer. <laughs> um, wow, okay. This feels like a sharp left turn yeah, to review. Yeah, musical whiplash. Yeah, to review this kind of immediately after Full of Hell. Uh, we're gonna talk by the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> by Rotting Cock. <laughs> um, this is uh, The Japanese House. Um, it's the debut album from the the project of um, of twenty three year old Amber Bain. Um, it's called Good at Falling. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out in March. Uh, the Japanese House is signed to Dirty Hit, which is also the home of the nineteen seventy five mm-hmm. uh, Pale Waves, Wolf Alice. Um, definitely not full of hell <laughs> or rotting cock. Um, so yeah, I mean. This just goes to show how how uh, broad our palette is, I suppose, yeah. on, on the bitchin' review. Uh, more of this still, as well, please. <laughs> um, I, I was quite surprised that this was the debut album by the Japanese house. I know you were mm. possibly more familiar with her than I was in, in the lead-up to this. She's been sort of steadily releasing EPs yeah. over the last few years. Um, so it, it, you could say it's been a quite, quite a long-awaited... Or maybe perhaps eagerly anticipated is a better way of saying it. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can take as long as you want to put out an album, but I used to write for a magazine that featured the Japanese house on the cover. It must have been well over three years ago at this mm-hmm. point. So it feels like the the word has the 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 sort of the 
the hype has been building. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you like I haven't listened to the EPs? Are they? Are you? A, are you a fan? Do you go to them yeah. very often at all? Um, I don't know how often I go. Yeah, no, I probably do. Or I certainly before this album came out went to them quite a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, big fan of the EPs. So how does that translate into good at falling? Help me out here. Good at falling is um, slightly different to the EPs. I think it's. Um, Sonically, no, it's doing very similar things. This is more poppy, I think, in okay. places. Um, it's also a lot more personal, a lot more kind of almost um, autobiographical yeah. in places, which um, her material was not really before. Oh, or really? at least I certainly didn't realise. Was it quite? Was she quite sort of almost mysterious and enigmatic beforehand? Well, to begin with... Um, I don't know why I said that kind of well <laughs> let me tell you a story well Danny my son <laughs> sit on my knee no thank you um, okay um, <laughs> um, nobody actually um, knew the identity of the Japanese house really at first okay yeah um, she used to perform kind of under the, no lights so nobody could really knew whether it was a man or a woman or anything like that oh um, so I guess Bit like Eamon Ra in that in that sense, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the lights um, off. <laughs> I think she ditched that fairly quickly. Um, it became, I think, she saw it as a bit of a gimmick, a bit of an albatross around her neck. Oh, okay. Um, that was the thing that all mm. the magazines would write about. Yeah. Know, rather than the music. I, I yeah, I, that's definitely happened in the past with bands mm-hmm. having a, a certain style of enigmatic performance that sort of becomes the sticking point. Yeah. Like more so than the music. Yeah, I can imagine that'll be a frustration as a musician. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So this, I think, this is a, a lot more personal. Um, she definitely goes to some deep personal places on this album. I think. Yeah. I mean, so to to give a little bit of context, if you've not listened to the Japanese house before, I suppose. You know, not that we try and focus too much on on sort of genre boundaries or anything like that or putting a label on anything, but you could definitely consider her within the, you know, when you think about her sort of her peers on the the same label as her, she's very much in the synth-driven indie pop territory, right? Definitely. Um, And, you know, I would say off the strength of this album, one of the better examples of that 100% on, yeah. a ma- on a mainstream level I would yeah. say um, this album has received quite sort of critical acclaim and mm. for very good reasons yeah I agree um, I think one of the things that I think really drew me to the Japanese house from the beginning is um, is the way she uses production mm. and electronics to her advantage I think similar to what we were saying about Frank Iero I don't think she has necessarily a, what I would describe as a powerful voice. No, it is quite understated um, in mm-hmm. that, you know. Yeah, and or I think... subtle. Subtle, it? yeah, definitely. Um, it is. It can be quite beautiful at times. Um, she is certainly a good singer. I th- but I think she's able to kind of create and write around mm. that sort of understated voice that she has. Um, using auto-tune at times. Yeah. Using some kind of studio trickery, but I think there's artistry in the way that she 
uses those elements. I would say that whole auto-tune thing, I mean, I've bemoaned the whole, uh, you know, era of SoundCloud rap and mm-hmm. the definite overuse of auto-tune, but I feel like it works really well um, in moderation. Yeah. And she's definitely, um, you know, she's definitely found that sweet spot mm-hmm. for me in terms of the amount of auto-tune to use. Yeah. Uh, I would say I, I do prefer her vocals without it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm not totally adverse to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are so many moments on this album for me where the production and the range of textures that she uses just hits the fucking spot. Yeah, yeah. Not to jump too far forward, but later on the album, there's a track called Marika is Sleeping, mm-hmm. um, which has these really sort of trippy, like, theremin-esque yeah. synths, um, and they, they kind of contrast really starkly with the, the sort of laid-back vibe of the record at large. Um, and a little bit later on the album as well one of my favourite tracks on the album is Worms mm-hmm. uh, I think the swaggering I don't want to say it's like a hip hop beat but it's kind of got an R&B beat to it Yeah, it's, it's incredible you know it's a really sort of it's a welcome sea change throughout the album it's kind of backed up by this bass line in the verses which is just it's just cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really cool summering, uh, summary sounding record yeah, overall for me definitely um, I think um, to kind of contrast you were talking you know I think uh, the song like Follow My Girl is I think for me it's like the biggest song mm. on the album um, it's got the kind of same ethereal quality but I think yeah. it's, a, it's much more kind of in your face um, there's almost like a sort of dancey beat mm. in the instrumentation it, it's not a million miles away from contemporaries like um People like Christine and the Queens, or like yeah. Sigrid, mm. even. Um, it's just got perhaps more of a melancholy yeah. vibe to it than that. that. That's the kind of you know that's the that's the pop music I'm much more into. You yeah, know, yeah, than definitely. like Anne Marie or Ellie Goulding or uh, Jess Glynn or yeah. whatever you know, someone <laughs> like that. Um, you know that that said, with the all the all the kind of electronics on the record, which are which are really well done. Lo- again, it's another album that's just got fantastic production. Mm-hmm. I like the moments even more where she dips into more acoustic instrumentation yeah. and has a little bit more of like a lo-fi bedroom pop kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. We hear that word bedroom pop quite a lot, but sort of that new in new school of uh, like indie singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a song called "You Seem So Happy," which Kind of reminds me of that wave of artists like, you know, Jay Som or Mitski, uh, Tancred. It's it's really kind of lush. It puts a little bit of a spring in your step as well. Yeah. Um, really like the song "Something Far Too Good to Feel," mm-hmm. which is stylized all in one word. That has massive sort of Phoebe Bridges yeah. vibes for me in in the verses. And if anything, I don't think there's enough of those moments on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the the way you know continuing on that that sort of bedroom pop vibe because yeah. I think it's a little bit sort of half and half on this record yeah. for me there's uh, the track at the end I Saw You In A Dream yeah a um, a reworking of a track that was on one of the EPs oh really um, this version is much more stripped back takes away some of the electronic kind of synthy mm. stuff and, and strips that back it sounds like someone just kind of getting hella stoned and just like (laughs) jamming out on a beat up acoustic guitar yeah and it's really raw in terms of her vocal performance I think there's a lot of kind of raw emotion in that Mm. vocal performance you can hear the kind of the cracks in the voice in that song 
Yeah, it's super lo-fi to end the mm. record. I think it's a really interesting contrast to end the record on, particularly. Yeah. I didn't know, that, admittedly, that it was a, a sort of a reworking of one of her earlier tracks. Mm. So is the original much more kind of, much more in keeping with the more cinematic end of this record? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think, you know, overall, I, th- I think the Japanese house does fit into that kind of bedroom pop bracket better than she does with her peers when you think about like certainly with her label mates mm-hmm. um this is not a record that i think for the most part is kind of built for that massive radio play obviously no. follow my girl has a kind of a dancey vibe to it and yeah. lilo the lead single was was i think got a decent amount of radio coverage yeah not that we care too much about that at the end of the day, but um, I, I think there is plenty on this record that will hook in the fans of that more emo-oriented scene of singer-songwriters. So yeah. you know all the all the singer-songwriters that we've name-checked: you have Phoebe Bridges, Julian Baker. I think it's far more upbeat than either of those artists. Yeah. But you know, um, yeah. In in kind of rating this, I'm I'm gonna sound like a bit of a twat again. Um, this this is another example of that sort of pop music that I want to hear a lot more of on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's tons of interesting women in in pop right now, whether that's that's Grimes or or Lord or Lana Del Rey, like mm-hmm. so Christine and the Queens and Sigrid. I think is great. Mm-hmm. Maggie Rogers, I think, is another one as well. And you know, not that she's sonically similar in any way. I'm fascinated by Billie Eilish at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that aside, there's all these interesting women doing great things in pop at the moment, but there's still a lot of toss. Yeah. Um, and I, I really hope that things kind of take off for the Japanese house because I feel like she could break that glass ceiling a little bit for a lot of the artists that are doing cool things in the underground alternative pop scene. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, this gets 7 out of 10 from me, but yeah. I, I feel like you're going to give it a higher rating. I'm going to go with an 8. Yeah? Yeah, I, I really, really like this. I just think it's really elegant pop music. It's got a real kind of powerful honesty and relatability to it, which is something that some pop music doesn't have. Mm. Um yeah, it's just a really great album that will translate to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, so The Japanese House, it's called Good at Falling. Um, it's out now on Dirty Hit. That came out in March, didn't it? I think around March time. Yeah, yeah. And we chose Venom Prison over it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that that's um, that brings us to the, the end of another fantastic episode of the Bitch and Review. Yeah. So that's very... Um, that's very self-assured, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you do indeed think that it was fantastic, then uh, then feel free to subscribe to Bitch and Brew on uh, your sort of relevant podcast platform, mm-hmm. um, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, however you're listening. Um, we've got tons of great stuff to go and listen back to. Like I said, the Bitch and Festival preview of Arctangent, which we're both going to, both very excited for. Uh, we did a we did a brilliant bumper review of, of 2000 Trees mm. Festival there was loads of chats that I did at 2000 Trees with the likes of St. Pierre Snake Invasion Brutus Petrol Girls uh, Fox Jaw who we spoke about on this podcast mm-hmm. um, yeah that, that was very enjoyable recently I it's not been confirmed yet but I've got something in the pipeline for an actual proper just one-on-one chat with someone for the podcast for an actual normal episode of the podcast that i think is happening very very soon again it's not confirmed yet but i've got everything crossed for it yeah yeah. uh that's 
pretty much all I can say <laughs> at the moment. Um, you know, so uh, and there's been a previous guest before. I think I mentioned that on the last episode, but they were not on for nearly as long as they should have been the first time they were on. So I've decided mm. to invite them back for another chat. You don't even know who I'm talking about. I do. All oh, right. Okay. Fine. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I'm going to cross everything too. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, we've got loads of stuff uh, planned to sort of round off festival season as well. Do we do a, a festival preview of Reading and Leeds, or have we just decided it's a bit? It's a bit wank. It'll be the shortest festival preview you've ever done, I think. <laughs> go, go see Milk Teeth on the main stage yeah. and a bit of Foo Fighters and then just enjoy a giant Yorkshire pudding and yeah. a pint for seven quid. Do they still do those? I hope so. Yeah. Uh, I had a giant Yorkshire pudding at Reading once while watching The Lumineers. Oh, really? 2013. And the song yeah, halfway through their it, set. Yeah. yeah, it was really... I, I don't know why I was watching The Lumineers, <laughs> but it's just a nice time to sit down in the main stage field and like Yorkshire pudding with sausage and mash in it. And they played that song halfway through the set. You should have seen the amount of people that just walked away from the main yeah. stage afterwards. It was, it was borderline hilarious. It really was. <laughs> Um, right, where were we? Yes, uh, join the Bitchin' Crew. Yeah. Which is the official Facebook community for friends, fans and listeners of uh, Bitchin' Brew. Um, there, that is uh, sort of picking up a little bit more. It was a little bit quiet. And yeah. I'm not even going to apologise. We've been positively uh, So with that, fans and more what mm-hmm. we're... So it's really not working in our favour anymore in no. terms of exposing what we do. So if you, if you really want to keep an eye on what we're doing because we're doing lots at the moment then the best way to do that is to join the bitching crew and also just to hang out a little bit it yeah, doesn't have to be all, all about people in there yeah I mean, there's exactly. us too but that, everyone else is cool and yeah nice exactly and yeah if you can put up with us two wankers then you know like yeah. <laughs> it's a good it's a, it's a good place to be um and uh yeah we just want to we want to hang out with our with our friends and our and our fans um listeners yeah yeah, <laughs> as much like Jim from Friday Night Dinner, isn't it? <laughs> Friend, neighbour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else do I want to say? Oh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this is a truly independent podcast with absolutely no financial backing, no sponsorships. Recorded in my kitchen, or sometimes even in a sweating hot car. <laughs> Uh, 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 you know a five star review if you think we have deserved that off the back of this then you know if you want to give us that then excellent thank thank you very very much indeed Um, and and we would very much appreciate it to kind of help boost the exposure of Mm -hmm. Bitch and Brew and help us continue our our hard work and help it pay off a little bit more Mm. Um, and even if you don't want to maybe even just give us a little bit of a share on social media with all your friends all the links to Bitch and Brew social media are in the description for this for this episode and all the episodes. So, yeah, do all of that stuff, please. Yes, please. And go and listen to all the records that we've covered today because mm-hmm. uh, they're all uh, varying amounts of good. good. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, right, so we're off to Art Tangent in a few days' time. Yeah. I will see you there, Brad. Yeah, see um, you there. But then we need to look ahead to the next episode of the Bitch and Review, episode number eight. Mm-hmm. Um that that'll be looking at the music releases from this month from August and oh my god it's a bit of bit of a hectic month isn't it Jesus yeah, Christ what, what have we got we've got Slipknot we've yeah. got Cult Dreams we've got Ooh. Kirsty's Metal Hands uh, god who else have we got I'm just looking at my notes now uh, Gender Roles yeah. uh, the Press Club album is coming out as Ooh. well we've pretty much got a full list of albums set already yeah. um, 
a couple more that I'm really interested to dive into as well. So yeah, stay tuned uh, for, for the full lineup of that one soon and, and stay tuned for the actual episode itself. Mm. Thank you very much, Brad. Here's Thank to you. you. Let's clink our empty beer bottles and maybe go and get ourselves a fresh oh, pint yeah. and a slice of pizza. Yeah. Uh, right, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Bitchin' Review. I've been Danny Randon. He's been Brad Thorne. See ya. See ya. Oh, and don't forget to be loud. Be kind. And be bitchin'. <laughs>